JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. What in the hell do you think you are doing? Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard. A pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. Yeah. Oh, oh, the thickest double time. Miles Turner. Yeah. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Oh, good afternoon. What's going on? I'm Brian No in for JMV. You know what? I came to the realization today that I'm jealous. I am a jealous person, and I didn't like this realization. I didn't, but it is indeed the case. I just started thinking about the Phoenix Suns and the Bradley Beal trade and even Draymond Green opting out. He's going to decline his option for next season. We'll see what happens with his contract negotiation and if he goes elsewhere and all that type of stuff. And I brought it back home. I brought it back home to Indianapolis over here, you know, and I just started thinking, you know, I want the Pacers to be good, obviously. I want the Colts to be good, obviously. But if you're not good, at least be interesting. And I hope we're on track to that being the case. With the Colts, getting Anthony Richardson gives them some juice. It gives them some intrigue. It gives them some, you know what? I got to watch this team. As a Colts fan, you're going to watch your squad. But if you are in Topeka, Kansas, you know what I mean? If you're a... I don't know, a Ravens fan somewhere on the East Coast. Or Ravens might not be the best example with the Colts tie in there, but you get my point. If you're a Tampa Bay fan, you're living in Florida. I still think Anthony Richardson being a rookie, it gives the Colts some juice. It gives them some intrigue. There's some factor of, I want to see what's going on over there, you know? That's a great thing. I hope Anthony Richardson will be a... You know, like a two-combo platter and will not only be interesting, but will also be really, really, really good. I'm hoping that's the case. But I still come back to, if you're not good, if you're not championship contenders, 
at least be winning the battle in the interesting department. You know, who would be a good example of this? I would argue the Falcons for a long time were a good example of that. If you look at Michael Vick, those Atlanta Falcon teams, they weren't serious contenders. Yeah, they made the playoffs a couple of times. Yeah, they won a few games here and there, but they weren't true. Like, look out for the Falcons this year. But that dude was electric. That guy was a highlight reel. And so I think that has real value. And I'm hoping the Colts have that. I'm hoping the Pacers have that, where I don't want to be jealous anymore. I want to be either on top, rooting for a team, winning it all, or at least on top figuratively, where you're at least interested, captivated. You know, you're getting an entertaining product. And I'm not sitting here telling you that Miles Turner, Tyrese Halliburton aren't interesting players to watch. I love Buddy Heald, watching him do his thing from three. I get that. But non-playoffs and not being talked about in the offseason a whole heck of a lot. You know, that's where I want the Pacers to at least be. And hey, hopefully they strike gold with the draft right around the corner this Thursday. You know what's wild, by the way, is... How much interesting matters in terms of how you are looked at as either a team or a player? I mentioned Michael Vick just a little bit ago. Would you be surprised to find out? We can all agree. The dude made numerous highlight plays. Just like, how did he do that? He might be the only player on planet Earth at the time that could make that particular play. But when it was all said and done... 133 touchdown passes, 88 interceptions. That's where he was. Career passer rating, 80.4. Yeah, 80.4. Let's do a little just uh, for comparison's sake. If you look at last season in the NFL, if we go down to passer rating, let me scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. Oh, whoa, let's see. Uh, Carson Wentz, 29th in the NFL in terms of passer rating. His passer rating was 80.2. So Carson Wentz, did he light it up for the commanders last year? Was he just crushing it, just dicing up opponents? Not, not, not really. Not particularly. So Carson Wentz, his passer rating last season in 2022, 80.2. In the same neighborhood as Michael Vick's career passer rating, 80. Point four, <laughs> but Michael Vick was interesting. Michael Vick was captivating. It was a highlight reel. And what often happens is, if you are checking the box in terms of being interesting, in terms of being captivating, a lot of times we might go over the top evaluating you as an individual player or an individual team. And so I at least want the Colts to be there. I'm not looking for Anthony Richardson to be Michael Vick 2.0 in terms of highlight reel type plays. I'm just simply making the point. If you indeed are interesting, if our eyeballs just have to go toward your games as a player, as a team, it counts. It matters. 
And as a sports fan, as a paying customer, as someone who's going out of their way to watch these games, whether you're attending them, whether you're watching them on a a weeknight or what have you, if it's the Pacers, uh, instead of weekend stuff with the family, it's like, hey, honey, you know, it's... It's Colts at 1 o'clock, you know? I mean, it's Colts at 1 o'clock. <laughs> like, you at least want to be getting bang for your buck, you know? You at least want to be getting entertainment. And I hope that we're not too far away from that. Being upgraded, you know, getting a significant boost. What is it, like the old Spinal Tap movie? Well, these amps go to 11. You know, I want the Colts to be on 11, in the interesting department, at the very least, you know, be captivating. I, I, and don't mistake my whole point here. Winning matters way more than being interesting. I'm just saying that is an attractive secondary situation over there, is to be interesting. I'm not making it the primary thing. The Colts aren't in the business of, hey, if we could just be more interesting. No, no, no they're trying to win. It's exactly what they should be doing. But along the way, if you just so happen to draft a few players that are crazy compelling, yes, we are absolutely winning as fans. You know, this Bradley Beal trade, I just mentioned it. Think about Washington Wizards fans. That franchise has been freaking terrible, okay? But who did they have last season on the roster? You've got Bradley Beal for 50 games. You've got Kristaps Porzingis. That's not terrible. Like, I don't know. Well, they say the, like, uh, I'm not that great on this. Like, the cost something ratio. You know, I'm out of my comfort zone over here. I don't even know what I'm talking about. But it's like a ratio, you know? I would do the winning interest ratio. And there's a little bit of a, you know, like a, a relationship between the two. And so I would argue with the Wizards, even though the record was in the toilet, entertainment value-wise, you could do a whole lot worse than Bradley Beal and Kristaps Porzingis, right? So all I'm saying is it softens the blow. You know, it's a, a, a nice landing. You're not landing, boom. You know, have you ever gone skydiving? I did it one time. I went skydiving one time. And uh, you do a tandem jump. You got to do all these jumps with somebody else. And then you could do one on your own. I clearly wasn't going to do that. So it's a tandem jump. Okay. The guy never told me. You kind of just land on your butt. I thought because I'd, <laughs> I'd been seeing all these parachuters like for the Denver Broncos game. I was there when the Colts beat them 12 to 9. In overtime, <laughs> I had the under. It was great. I'm not complaining. But I saw all these parachute people come down right on their feet. And so for some reason, I thought, I right, we'll just land on our feet like all these other people. And I learned very quickly, oh, we're going way too fast for that to happen. So my feet touched the ground a couple of times, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. We got we to gotta switch the game plan up here real fast. And so we just landed, you know, kind of like on our legs and our butts and that sort of thing. Uh, But the point is this. If you're thinking about winning being the goal, you want your teams to win as a sports fan, okay? But what cushions the fall is being interesting. 
And I just hope that it happens here in Indianapolis. A long story short, I hope that we are on our way to, at the very least, seeing that being upgraded as we go forward here. And I hope you don't mistake my point. I would much rather take team winning that's not as interesting over team losing, like big difference between the winning team, the losing team in terms of games and all that type of stuff. But if that team that's losing is a lot more interesting, that's that's offense to fall, no doubt about that. I'm Brian, though, in for JMV. It's 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Man, lots to get to. We're looking forward to James Boyd from The Athletic. Just heard from him. He'll be back. Double duty, James Boyd. We'll talk some Colts at 3.30. Jake Query at 4. Talk some Pacers with Alex Golden at 5. So we got you all set up here. How about this guy, Wyndham Clark? I, you'll, you'll notice um, when I'm filling in from time to time, it won't take you long. I am a ball addict. That's uh, actually on my, uh, uh, on my Twitter. Uh, I'm an addict when it comes to ball, meaning football. So I can take almost anything and turn it into a football topic. <laughs> if you're like, fine, Brian, um, the priesthood. I, in five seconds, I could turn that into the AFC South. I, no problem. I'm the MacGyver of turning some non-football subject into a football subject. But Wyndham Clark, the U.S. Open winner, which I love his name, by the way, Wyndham. If I have a son one day, Wyndham is on the short list. Wyndham, go clean your room, Wyndham. It sounds like uh, wash up for supper, Wyndham, that sort of thing. I like that name. I'm not, I'm not against it, but old Wyndham. Won the U.S. Open. It was a great story. Awesome story. This guy's only 29 years old. He, sadly, 10 years ago, lost his mother. He was just a teenager. His mother died of breast cancer. I'm watching the final round, and it literally is, you know, it's emotional. This guy wins it, gets the final putt in there, starts crying, hugs his caddy. Really, a like a middle linebacker, like, bring it in. Bring it in here. Like, <laughs> very macho hug. I loved it. I loved the whole story. And this guy, he had made earlier until this week, okay, going into this week, he had never made the cut at a U.S. Open. Nor had he finished better at a major than a tie for 75th. And the guy won the U.S. Open. Rags to riches over here. And so this is where the football topic jumps in. As Wyndham Clock, I think he should be British. But anyway, old Wyndham, Denver native, he was not one of the favorites heading in. Okay? He was off the radar heading into the U.S. Open. Who is an off-the-radar NFL team that could be a Wyndham Clark-type surprise? In the NFL this season, okay? Off the radar could surprise a whole lot of folks. I don't know in terms of winning a championship, but crazier things have happened. We're just a couple of years removed from the Bengals. Remember the Bengals? What were they? Like 4-11-1-ish? Something like that. I think that was right before they were playing 17 games. I have to go back and look. But they only had four wins. Four and a half if you're being technical. Because the tie is half a win, half a loss. So if you want to be really technical, four and a half wins if there is such a thing. And then 
the Bengals the next season, they were in the Super Bowl. They were a whisker away from beating the Rams and winning it all. So, a team that is off the radar, challenging to at least make significant noise come playoff time. Let's put it in those terms. Who could you see? There is one team I have absolutely highlighted, circled the whole nine yards. You know who that team would be? You might look at me sideways. But again, we're looking for a diamond in the rough. If I had told you before the U.S. Open, look out for Wyndham Clark, you would have said, okay. So it's the same thing when it comes to the NFL. The team that I think could have a monstrous turnaround that's not being talked about at all right now, the Los Angeles Rams. Now hear me out on this. If you look at the NFC, and we'll bring it back home to the Colts and the AFC, but if we're looking for a big-time surprise team, look at the Rams. So the Rams won a Super Bowl two seasons ago. Then last season, they were the walking wounded. Injuries all over the place. Reshuffled offensive line. Matthew Stafford's hurt. Cooper Cup's hurt. Yada, 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 yada. What if they have better injury luck this season? You've got Matthew Stafford, Super Bowl winning quarterback. Aaron Donald, best defensive player in football. Not named Micah Parsons. He's still right up there. Elite. Cooper Cup, elite. And they are completely off the radar because they had a terrible season last year. Look at the competition. Look at the NFC. The NFC, Eagles, Niners, Cowboys look to be the top three teams. But it is wide open from that point on. Who strikes fear in your heart in the Rams division? Yeah, the Niners look really good. They have a very talented roster, but I would argue it's not for sure they have a franchise quarterback ironed out yet. Are you sure Brock Purdy is the guy? We know Trey Lance isn't yet the guy. We don't know if he ever will be a guy for that team or somebody else as far as franchise quarterback. Then you've got the Seahawks. Does Geno Smith strike fear into your heart? Probably not. And then you've got the Arizona Cardinals with Colt McCoy filling in there for Kyler Murray. I think it's a pretty decent spot to begin. And then you look at the rest of the NFC, like I said, is wide open. So I think the Rams, blessed with better health, they should at least be a playoff team. And then all bets are off from there. I think they could absolutely surprise a lot of people coming off of a 5-12 and season where they were banged up like crazy. Not a deep roster. They're sort of like the Phoenix Suns of the NFL. <laughs> it's really what the Rams are. Very top-heavy. When you mentioned Stafford, Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, you're like, that's, that's pretty good. The problem is there's not a whole lot of depth over there. You look at that roster and you're like, holy cow, man. <laughs> is going on well that's what happens when you light draft picks on fire and get proven veteran guys at some point the the heart of your team you know the foundation of your team it's not young and cheap which you gotta have in the nfl so they don't have a whole lot of depth i'm not sitting here telling you run to the betting window and put your whole life savings on the Rams to win it all next season. I'm just saying, I think they could absolutely be a surprise team. As far as the AFC goes, this is the thing with the Colts. It's just such a hard conference, man. Really difficult conference. When you start thinking about the top teams where you're like, well, you got the Chiefs, you got the Bills, you got the Bengals, Dolphins are going to be tough. 
The Jets have Aaron Rodgers. Like, Lamar Jackson is back with the Ravens. The Jags made significant strides. The Chargers won 10 games and have a lot of talent. It's like, my goodness, I, there are not enough spots for all those teams to make the playoffs. I think that the Colts, it's just too much to ask to have a significant push this season. If we're looking for a rookie quarterback, if he hits the ground running, as far as like as a rookie, I'm not saying hitting the ground running and he's in the MVP conversation, but hit the ground running and is successful on the rookie scale. I think the Panthers have a decent shot. I'm not a big believer in Bryce Young in terms of durability, in terms of processing, accuracy. I love his feel for the game, but he doesn't have an incredibly strong arm outside the numbers and the durability thing. I have huge concerns about that. When you're maybe around 185-ish playing weight, yeah, that that makes me really nervous in the NFL. But we're just talking about a season. Let's say Bryce Young is relatively healthy throughout most of the season. Well, in that conference and in that division, the NFC South, yeah, I could see the Panthers making some noise. I just think it's way too loaded for the Colts with A. Rich, for the Texans with C.J. Stroud, who I think is largely going to be a fish out of water without five first-round wide receivers around him. I just don't see, boom, success for either of those teams initially, for the Colts or the Texans. I do not see that. Uh, Something else about Wyndham Clock. Get washed up for supper, Wyndham. Um, So he wins this whole thing. And what was interesting is he talked about the mental side. You always hear this about golf. Right, the mental aspect of the game. I forget the saying. It's like the the five inches um, between your ears, right? Like that that type of thing. That that's where the game is mostly played. Something along those lines. I apologize if I'm screwing that up, but you get my drift. So Wyndham Clark, he he was battling himself really, and so after his mom's death. He was uh, really an angry person, was angry on the golf course. He was talking about driving away, not realizing his potential and shouting in the car and hitting the steering wheel. And he had to battle all all of this stuff. And so he started seeing a mental coach. And this mental coach, she instilled a sense of calm in Wyndham Clark that had been missing since his mom's death. And one of the things that this mental coach told him was, think of your goals and get cocky and go show them who you are. And so I thought about that, and I also thought about Anthony Richardson. There was a piece from Stephen Holder on ESPN, and it was talking about Anthony Richardson and seeking a mental edge. And the quote was, the game isn't always physical is what Anthony Richardson was saying. And he's so right about that. I love that he's looking at it from that perspective. And that really is going to be the whole key for Anthony Richardson in the NFL. He's got the physical part down cold, okay? This dude is a Greek god. That guy, there's nothing about him physically where you say, eh, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Nothing. That dude has it on lock. The question about Anthony Richardson 
is just, can he get up to speed at the NFL level from a mental side of it? And make no mistake, I'm not calling this guy stupid at all. I'm just saying he's inexperienced. He hasn't thrown 400 passes in his college career. Just 13 starts. You know, so you think about the speed of the NFL game, the amount of information where you're processing things before the snap, after the snap, disguised coverages, all of this stuff. These plays sound like, you know, a, thes- a thesaurus on cocaine or something like that. It's like, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And so that's why I think it is. And I love that he's looking at this from a mental perspective because I think that's going to make that's going to determine how successful he is in the NFL is how quickly can he process how quickly can he diagnose and I think from that point on the physical side of it it's reps right I the physical side of it is not just you know how big you are how fast you are how strong you are it's muscle memory it's, it's good footwork. I put all of that in the same grouping there. So I don't want to like paint the picture like, he's 6'5", it's all good. <laughs> you know, There's a little bit more to it than that. But in terms of what are you, what's going to determine whether he's successful or not, it's not the physical part of it. Um, I think if you look at Bryce Young, for instance, I think the physical part is going to be a big portion of will he be successful or not? Can he last? Is he durable enough? Those are legitimate questions. And I don't want to make it sound like six five guys don't get hurt, but they're not as much of a risk to get hurt the way a guy like Bryce Young is. Uh, but really, it's, it's just that mental side. And think about it. For Wyndham Clark, this golfer, where we, we all say that golf is a very, very mental game. And it is. But playing quarterback in the NFL? My goodness. You're talking and it, it we don't talk about it the same way. We don't have that it's the five inches of space between your ears or what whatever. You know, we don't have that saying when it comes to playing quarterback in the NFL. But it's true. A lot of it is that. Is what you're diagnosing, what you're seeing, what you're anticipating confidence, you know, all those mental games. It goes into it. And I like that Anthony Richardson is thinking along those lines. And I hope that I hope that he's as good mentally as he looks to be physically. That That's the hope. Uh, because if he is, man, that guy's definitely going to be interesting on the football field. There's no doubt about that. All right, we've got a lot to get to. A lot to get to. A little bit of Father's Day recap. From yesterday, looking forward to that. James Boyd coming up next. Covers the Colts for the Athletic. I'm Brian No in for JMV. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Look at all those ding-dongs. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I'm Brian Noe in for JMV. It's 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I want to welcome in James Boyd. Covers the Colts for the Athletic. A little double duty. 
with Jimmy <laughs> Cook earlier today. James, uh, how's everything going today, bud? It's going good. I'm enjoying the 107.5, you know, the fan fam right now. So it feels like I'm a little part of the, the family. So it feels good to be included. Man, you got the whole car wash going on today. You know? <laughs> just, just a little bit, man. Get yeah. in where I fit in. <laughs> you know, uh, James and I, James Adams, JMV's producer, we were talking about metal a couple of minutes ago off air. I found out James is a metalhead. Uh, James Boyd, uh, James and James here in studio today. Uh, where do you rank metal? On a scale from 1 to 10, what is your interest level when it comes to uh, heavy metal there? It is zero. I know nothing about heavy metal except for when I was trying to lift weights in high school, honestly. And it's no disrespect to the music genre. I wish I was more out there. My dad's into more like music from all over, but I'm a, a true hip-hop rap guy. So yeah. um, I, w- I would say I don't personally like it but i'm sure it's dope for everyone else who does enjoy it what's the most random genre you like outside of rap or hip-hop i would say if you catch me with a nice country song there's always like one or two where i'm like all right this is a jam and i might be like you know having to turn it down when i go somewhere because i don't want to be seen listening to this but um i enjoy it man i I try to make sure that i at least know the top songs that are, are out there like on the charts and things like that man okay i got you so uh give me this who would be the metal of the NFL for you? Okay, like think of it. You have zero for heavy metal. Who would be zero giant thumbs down? This team drives me crazy. <laughs> Who would be that for you? Oh, man, I don't. I have to, I have to think about this for sure. Maybe, I guess, this season, maybe the Cardinals because it's like you, you just don't really um, want to watch them because they're not going to be very good. So maybe that's my perspective on them. But even then, I guess if I had to cover him for a check, I'd be all in. And that's kind of how it goes. <laughs> that's true. You know, I, I was just talking about this to begin the show is the teams that are interesting, at least. Right. As a fan, you want your team mm-hmm. to be good. You want them to challenge for a Super Bowl. That's obvious. But what cushions the blow if they're not that good is if they're really interesting. And for you who covers a team. I think you would want that as well. When you look around the league, like put good to the side and you say just interesting. I know good can bleed into that, the interesting part, but if you kind of separate them as much as you can, who would you say is is really interesting even though they might not be incredibly good? The Broncos. Yeah. To me, like how much can Sean Payton – sort of salvage what happened there last season is Russell Wilson really cooked like is he done being a pretty good quarterback in this league or was that just a one-off and can he bounce back so that I would say they're very intriguing because obviously they were in the headlines every week because of just how bad they were last season and obviously the let's ride thing that kind of got taken and and flipped and twisted because for whatever reason Russell Wilson just would not stop saying it despite how the season went you know, I think it was the movie, James, Black Hawk Down. Mm-hmm. And I might be messing up the line exactly, but at one point someone says, I need you to give me a non-BS assessment, okay? I Something along those lines. But I want that in terms of your view on the Colts. How interesting are they? Getting Anthony Richardson helps a lot, I would argue, in that department. But when you compare them to other teams in the league, at least from an interesting standpoint, where would you put them? I'd probably put them right at maybe like a C plus B. I think the general average NFL fan doesn't really care what's going on with Indianapolis because in their mind, you know, they haven't really been relevant since Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning. 
So I would put them right there. But from a beat writer's perspective, there's a lot to be interested about because, you know, to me, you get to see the infancy of it all and, and, yeah. and get to see if this can be the new face of the franchise with Anthony Richardson. No, that's a good answer, man. He's James Boyd, covers the Colts for The Athletic, joining us here on The Fan. What interests you from a player perspective uh, about this Colts team beyond Anthony Richardson, which is an obvious? I think what should interest everyone in Indianapolis is what happens at cornerback. You yeah. know, it's kind of a catch-22. You You want an opportunity to play the young guys, but then you also realize how young you would be if you don't have Isaiah Rodgers in there because of his whole um, alleged violation of the gambling policy. So we should hear something, I would imagine, this month, um, obviously by next month before we get into training camp, about his status going forward. But I'm very excited to see what the Colts do, you know, when it comes to him potentially not being available going forward. And also, um, what does that mean for that room, do you go out and get a veteran or do you just stick with the young guys, Darius Rush, Julius Brents, do they get more opportunities? And then a guy like Dallas Flowers, who I talked about earlier on the fan, he's a guy who is super confident and someone who took a crazy path to the NFL. And now he's got this golden opportunity to seize the moment and potentially become a starter. Is it weird to you, James, that we don't have official word as to what's going on with Isaiah Rogers Sr., where it seems like the NFL has a decent amount of information where the bets were typically from 25 to $50. Maybe he was betting on the Colts as well. We don't know that. But it seems like they have enough information to make a determination, and yet we're still in this holding pattern. That seems awfully weird to me. Yeah, you know, he was not – he has not been officially suspended from the team. Like, he was just away from the team during – minicamp but again he hasn't been officially suspended because there hasn't been a ruling in his case but I will say this I'm not that surprised we haven't heard anything because I think they really have to vet this because if what's being alleged is true and he bet on Colts games you have to then go back and see okay did you bet on games against your own team and if that's the case, I think that's a whole other layer of, you know, having to protect the league and things like that. So I think they really want to be thorough with this because of the amount of bets, you know, that was reported by ESPN with it being in the hundreds. And then also, as the initial story broke from Sports Handle, did this guy bet on his games and then did he bet against his own team? Because if that happened, oh, man, that's a that's a black eye for the league for sure. Man, and for him too, right? Like you're looking at former sixth-round pick, 211th pick, and he was a starter for half the season last year, was in line to start this season. And if he's betting against his team, I don't think there's anything worse gambling-wise that you could do than be found out that you are betting against the team you're on. I think that would be... Very, 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 did I say very hard to come back from? Because, I mean, we look at Isaiah Rogers. I think he's a pretty good player. Um, nice enough dude. I don't th- have anything against him character-wise. But you wonder how many chances you're going to get if you're, a, like you said, a former six-round pick, you know, sort of a fringe starter type. We didn't even know if he was going to be a legitimate starter in the NFL. This is going to be his year to get that shot. And so you look at guys who kind of got second chances in the NFL for whatever reason, whatever they've done, talent speaks to that usually. You know, Calvin Ridley, it's different when you're a 1,400-yard receiver and you do something to violate the gambling policy as opposed to a a cornerback who might be a starter. You know what I'm saying? So it's a tough situation for him to be in, but one that I'm sure he didn't admit 
to gambling on his own games and things like that, but there was that statement that seemed like some sort of admission of guilt. So I'm sure he feels, um, you know, pretty bad about that situation, and um, we just have to see how it all plays out. He's James Boyd from The Athletic here on The Fan. Uh, We're going to go from Isaiah Rogers Sr. possibly gambling to you gambling, okay? This is what I want to (laughs) do. If uh, you're given a free roll, right? Like, it's it's not going to cost you any money. Uh, It's like a $500, $1,000, whatever the dollar amount is, it's a free roll. Are you betting on Anthony Richardson being the starter in week one or not being the starter in week one? Oh, man, this is when I feel like, depending on the day, depending on the throw, I could go either way. I would say I'll roll for him. I'll Uh roll for Richardson to start week one. Um, That's where I would lean. I just feel like for him not to start, he would have to really be struggling with the playbook. And, to, and, and the gap between him and Gardner Minshew would have to be like an ocean where, I, where you just feel like, okay, there's no way he could handle himself. But if you feel like, you know, he's okay to go out there from a protection standpoint, from a play calling standpoint, things like that, then I don't think that Gardner Minshew is talented enough for you to feel like this guy is going to get us to the playoffs and win us games. It's, it's a little bit different, you know. I think that Gardner is a fringe starter, lower level starter in the NFL. But And he knows why he was brought in as well. So I think that you, as long as you feel good about protecting that young guy, his knowledge of the game is okay. And, and the biggest thing for him has always been reps. And so get him out there, get his reps, take his lumps, and um, you, know, you feel good hopefully by the end of the year with, with, with whatever progress you've seen. What do you think about this, James, is um, uh, the difference between the first six games for Anthony Richardson or the first six games for Gardner Minshew, meaning this, who would be facing more pressure? Would it be Anthony Richardson, who's a rookie and he hasn't had a whole lot of starts or throws in college? Is it that guy? Or is it Gardner Minshew, although he has more playing time in the NFL, he he knows his window is so short so small to try to showcase himself if nothing else to plant the seed of hey I can be a starter in this league and even though I'm I understand the handwriting on the wall I'm going to be backing up Anthony Richardson in the not too distant future he has let's just call it six games to prove that he can handle it as a starter in the NFL who do you think would be facing more pressure in that scenario I think it would be Richardson. I think it's always going to be Richardson because of what they invested in him as the number four pick of the franchise, someone who's expected to carry the torch that Andrew Luck once had, Peyton Manning once had, go way back and say Johnny Unitas and others. So I think that uh, it's Richardson. And I say that because we know what Gardner Minshew is. We don't know what Richardson is. And obviously to draft him, you want to believe in what he could become. But what you can become goes both ways, right? It's not just, okay, we get him. We know he's going to develop. We know he's going to eventually be a top five player in the league. It could go the other way where it doesn't work out. So I think that there's going to be pressure on him to live up to the expectations and the oohs and ahs that he brings out of you occasionally. I was saying it earlier. He would have the best throw in camp just about every day, mini camp, OTAs, all those days that we were out there. But then – the day overall would usually belong to Gardner Minshew because it was more consistent. And so for Richardson, it's all about consistency and can he put it all together and become the player that everyone thinks he can and he's shown flashes of being. Which would surprise you more? Would it be 
Michael Pittman Jr. not getting a contract extension or Jonathan Taylor getting a contract extension? Oh, man, that's a good one. I would say Pittman not getting one. I think that JT's deal gets done. Um, I think that that is something where he kind of came out and said his piece last week, and that's really as candid as Jonathan Taylor really has been, I believe, since coming into the NFL, where he kind of drew that line in the sand saying, basically, I'm I'm valuable. You know, pay me like I'm valuable. And so we'll see how that shakes out. But, um, yeah, I would be shocked if they didn't come to some sort of agreement with JT. He's just too good, and he means too much to the to the development of Anthony Richardson to let that go by. And then with uh, Pittman, I would expect something gets done on his end as well, and I would just be completely shocked, again, if they couldn't do something with him. Because you whatever you want to do when it comes to those two players – it's for the betterment of the other guy who um, is the face of the franchise now, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. You want to make sure that you do whatever you can to make life easier for Anthony Richardson. I, last one for you. I want to go to the O-line, you know, because sometimes there's this tendency to think a down year from the offensive line, it's just what they are, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it can't be. If we look at a, a wide receiver or a quarterback, you mentioned, you know, uh, Russell Wilson a little bit ago. There's this tendency to think, hey, they could turn it around. They could improve. But I think it's the opposite, the common thinking about an offensive line. If they struggle one year, you kind of think this is just what they are and they haven't made significant upgrades. Do you think without significant upgrades, we can see a much better performing offensive line this season? I think so because to me – that unit last year was one of the worst in the league. And you're not asking them to go from worst to first and worst to best. You're just asking them to be average, in my opinion. Now, not as a coaching staff, you want the best, you know, want them to go out there and do well. But from my perspective, I know that it would be unwise to think that they're just going to jump and be the Philadelphia Eagles where they have the best offensive line, everything works up front. But to ask them to be average from my perspective, is fair. You know, I think that they're talented enough to do that. And they brought in Tony Sperano Jr. And they have a lot of faith in him to kind of galvanize the troops in the trenches. And so I would expect them to bounce back from last year. A guy like Quentin Nelson, Braden Smith, Ryan Kelly, others, you know, to at least show up and, and be a little more stout up front. James, it was fun hanging out with you. Do you have to hit the cold tub now like an athlete? <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, man, I, that's what I love about this business. You know, you sit down, you talk, you type, and then, you know, I feel like the, the trade-off is that your body kind of hangs up a little bit uh, or hangs in there a little bit uh, tougher, so I won't have to worry about any injuries and things like that for sure. No <laughs> doubt, yeah, it's, a, it's much better that way for sure. But, hey, man, hope you have a good rest of the day. I'll catch up with you soon, James. All right, thank you, man. Appreciate it. All right, there he is. James Boyd covers the Colts for The Athletic. Okay, coming up next. Just about, I don't know, 15 minutes ago, I received some news that completely brightened my day. And I would assume there are at least 5 to 10, maybe 20 people in the listening audience where it will brighten their day as well. I'll have some details for you around the corner. I'm Brian No in for JMV. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Hey, my buddy, Swanson, full steam ahead, over there. I want to go over there. I'll move over, Swanson, I'm driving. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. 
I'm Brian No in for JMV here on The Fan. Man, so I just got some news about 15 minutes ago that completely brightened my day. I can't say it's going to work for everybody listening right now, but there will be a couple of you cool people out there. This will brighten your day as well. You might know this, um, but I, I just learned it. I just said randomly to James, trusted producer of the Ride with JMV, I said, uh, you know, what kind of music are you into? And I, I didn't know what to expect, but I was not expecting the glorious answer I got, which was James just saying, metal, <laughs> metal. And I said, what? Are you serious? I love metal. That's my favorite genre of music. And we're rattling off bands. We've bonded, James. I feel like we are, we're boys right now at this point. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We're bonded by metal. Man. So who's at the top of your, your list over there? Um, I think, my, I mean, my favorite band is probably Gojira. Um trying to think i love you know like we were mentioning uh, pantera love pantera i actually have a pantera tattoo do you uh, really? yes i do <laughs> what i have the what? uh the cowboys I... from hell uh, uh-huh. logo on my elbow or above okay. my elbow hey the cfh yes sir nice uh like you you mentioned early metallica love early metallica megadeth slayer uh i, I like Dude. anthrax decently yeah my man it sounds like i'm talking to myself over <laughs> here that is beautiful yeah oh gosh we're gonna I'll tell you what, when I'm in for JMV, it's going to be Metal Fest 2023 over here. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's awesome. I didn't know you had the CFH. I actually have, I don't know if you're up with this band, but Sepultura. Love me some Sepultura. Yes, I love Sepultura. They are so good. So I have three tribal S's. They just go like around my arm. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, And it's a little bit weird because, not to get too far off in the weeds, (laughs) I feel like a lot of people are like, too late! (laughs) (laughs) But uh, their singer and like rhythm guitarist, Max Mm -hmm. Cavalera, Uh he left the band. and Mm -hmm. So the band still went on with the same name, but without Max. And I'm like, ah, no. No, I mean like the Max Sepultura, the new version. That that's not Sepultura. So, there. so when a band kind of replaces all of its core members, do you can still do you still consider it that band? Because right right now Pantera is touring or right. doing a reunion tour, but obviously it doesn't have uh, Dimebag or it doesn't have uh, Vinnie Paul, the two members that are no longer uh, with us, unfortunately. Yeah. And it's hard to, like, it because they were so integral to the sound of Pantera. Would you still consider that Pantera, what they're doing now, or is that a, a, just basically a cover band of Pantera? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. For me, it's a lot different with them specifically because dime and vinnie paul are gone now Mm -hmm. if the band just had a falling out and they weren't agreeing and dime got replaced and vinnie got replaced Mm -hmm. it'd be like this isn't pantera right but just based on the circumstance i don't look at them as this is that it will never be pantera without dime yeah and vinnie paul but under the circumstances i don't look at them touring more sideways as other bands that might be doing it gotcha. when they just replaced guys. You see it the same way? Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm similar. Um, I guess because, mainly just because I know Vinnie Paul did not have the, a good relationship with Phil Anselmo, their singer, and there was a lot of uh, uh, tension between the, the members of the band after Dimebag died. And so that's... I'm of two minds of it. Like, I guess I would be okay with it if they were like Zach Wilde and Phil Anselmo present Pantera. Mm. But to me, it's hard for me to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to go see Pantera. 
Right. Because it's Dime isn't there, Vinny isn't there, and those two, I mean, the Abbott brothers were so integral to that sound and yeah. to their style and to oh. just their whole thing. No doubt about that. Absolutely. Um, man, that's crazy. We'll have to bring up more metal chats here as the show goes on. Uh, by the way, we we're also talking about this, James. Uh, JMV mentioned this in one of his ads. I forgot how to pronounce it already. I, I, I have to. Pergola? Pergola. Pergola. Yeah, so I Googled it. I'm like, what the hell is that? It looks like it's a shade structure. And I think, yeah, like kind of in your backyard, like your back porch. I think my sister has one of those. Gotcha. I think I'm right on this, James, because I said, what in the world is a perugula? (laughs) (laughs) And And I said, James, are you married? Do you have any kids? You said no. And I said, me either. And I'm like, I think that's why we don't know. And I think that's absolutely correct. I don't know how many non-married guys have, how do you say it? A pergola, I'm Pergolas. pretty sure. Yeah. Okay. See, I for some reason, the sound of it made me think it was a flower or something. <laughs> yeah, it's like, a, it's like a little shaded area over Interesting. Like your back deck or porch or something like that. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I don't have a back deck or a porch, so. Yeah, no, no need. I didn't even come close to spelling it correctly. (laughs) I was way off on this. I had some U's going on. There's an E and an O. I was way off. How do you spell it? How do you spell it? So it's P-E-R-G-O-L-A-S. Gotcha. There's an S at the end. Okay, pergolas. Yeah, pergolas, I guess. silent S. Okay. Yeah. Pergola, pergolas, I don't know. Maybe maybe it is just singular. It looks like uh, it's, uh, plural. Over, eh, You could go either way. Yeah. You could go either way. Maybe you're fancy like JMV and you have plural <laughs> pergolas. I'm not sure. Uh, this is beautiful. So we've got the College World Series going on right now. Um, I, I'm not huge into college baseball, but I'll watch some College World Series. And uh, right now, Tennessee and Stanford are going at it. Stanford had a 4-0 lead. Now it's tied up 4-4. But I bring up the College World Series because of one Carl Ravitch. Now, Ravi does a pretty good job. I I like listening to him. He's done a a great job for ESPN for a long time. He botched a call, though. So the scenario is, this was a game between uh, Oral Roberts... And uh, well, I forget who they're playing, but Oral, I think it was TCU. Uh, Oral Roberts hit a three-run homer in the top of the ninth inning to take the lead. Okay? That's a key piece of information. Oral Roberts, don't quote me, I forget who they're playing. Oral Roberts hits a three-run homer to take a 6-5 lead in the top of the ninth inning. Okay, now this call on ESPN sounds a lot different. And this one is hammered to left field. and wins it TCU I should say in a walk off top half that's right not bottom 3-1 shot though puts him on top after it felt like they were down and out 6-5 wow oof that's a rough one right there man that is rough where he was like it's a walk off homer for Oral Roberts no, it's a walk-off for TCU. Oops, it's door number three, actually. It's a go-ahead homer in the top of the ninth for Oral Roberts. My bad on that one. Oof, that is, that's a rough one right there. It's funny because I, I got to talk to this guy, Matt Spiegel, 
from he does Chicago sports radio, but he also fills in from time to time doing play by play for the Cubs. Great dude. And he was like, man, when you mess up doing play by play, it is awful and terrible and humiliating. And it's on record forever. If you screw up doing sports radio, no one really cares. It's like, yeah, you messed up. Big deal. You turn the page. But man, there's something about these baseball calls. He's right. It's completely different. Totally different. All right, coming up next, Jake Query drops on by. We'll have some fun with Jake. A wide array of subjects. That's on the way. I'm Brian No in for JMV. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. And you can tell Rolling Stone magazine that my last words were, I'm on drugs. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I'm Brian No in for JMV. 93.5, 107.5. The Fan. I want to welcome in Jake Query. You hear him on the morning show. Kevin and Query here on The Fan. Uh, Jake, we, uh, we've got numerous bets on your first couple of answers over here, okay? So JMV was doing a spot uh, involving pergolas, okay? Um, first off, you're well-read. I think you'd know, but do you know what a pergola is? I didn't. I had to Google this thing. Well, first off, so JMV is doing a spot on them, correct? Yes. Yep, we just heard it, and I was like, what in the hell is a pergola? Now, what was your guess? Let me ask you that first. I didn't have one. I'm just like, I, I didn't get beyond what is that. <laughs> That's all I had in my head. My belief is that a pergola, not unlike a hopa, as I believe is referenced in Meet the Parents, is some sort of a backyard wooden canopy or decorative piece yeah that's exactly right now the second question i was right i'm like you know jake's well read he probably knows what this is now the next question is do you have one my guess is i think the odds are better you don't but i wouldn't be shocked if you do (laughs) well here's the thing brian one would have to have their own yard (laughs) yeah that's i'm more of a city dweller yeah, so I live in I live in a 100 and I believe it's 121 year old building in a townhouse. Now, oh, wow, my girlfriend Shannon has three and a half wooded acres that has wood walk bridges, a canal and, and creek that goes under it and a fabulous outdoor fire pit, etc. But I do not believe uh, as a matter of fact, I shouldn't say I don't believe. It's not like I don't know what's in the yard. There are several wooden structures, but that would not be one of them. So I probably should get a hold of JMV to be able to patronize <laughs> that of which he's advertising. Absolutely, man. You're moving on up in the world. Holy cow. Does she have a moat around the place? <laughs> we do. We we have a moat mostly just to keep out other radio. Do- no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> That's right. That's right. No, actually, you know what? It's really funny because um, – her house is in a cul-de-sac, and you would never know. I mean, it's just a, it's a ranch house, but it just so happens that the backyard um, kind of goes into down a hill, and it and it connects to actually her parents live two lots away, but there's no house in between the two, so it's 
it's actually kind of the whole backyard is attached by one huge wooden privacy fence, and it makes up. I think all told, it's four and a half or five acres. Pretty awesome. Yeah, wow, that's awesome, man. That's really cool. How'd you guys meet? What's that? How did you guys meet? We met. Um, so, well, actually, if you really want to know the truth, it's kind of embarrassing. Uh, I was, um, I was doing like a naked and afraid routine, and I was, and I thought it was a remote area in her backyard, and the police were called. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I worked years ago, Brian. I worked at a cigar store and brought a book called Hardwick's Pipe and Tobacco, fabulous store. She was a travel agent whose office was down the way from the cigar store. And I knew her peripherally through that. And then a couple of years later, I was at actually Rob Sabatini, who's a great dude that owns Average Joe's, Rock Lobster, and Mine Shaft right there on Broadwell Avenue. Um, Rob Sabatini had, used to do a party every year called the Front Row Party for the Indy 500. And her office was next door to it. And I knew I was working at Channel 6 at the time, and I was there covering it and saw her there. And we started talking, and I asked her on a date. And... Uh, that was a long time ago, and wow. she's stuck by me ever since. That's awesome, man. I'm glad to hear that. He's Jake Query here on The Fan with me. Um, okay, so let me shift gears on you. Uh, no pun intended, because I'm going to ask you a, an IndyCar question. I swear to you that was not a pun. It was just a random occurrence there. But what is the craziest thing you've seen while covering an IndyCar race? And I just ask you this because we had recent fisticuffs going on there. I'm just curious, when you are either at the Indy 500 or any other race, what is something that was a wow moment for you? Well, are we talking amongst the participants or in the crowd? Because those anything. are totally different names. Totally anything. Well, the craziest thing I ever saw, I won't say the name of the venue. I don't want to get anybody in trouble or whatever else, but – uh, I was at a race once where there was a large crowd that I needed to get through. I saw two guys carrying a stretcher, and I thought, well, they're parting the crowd because people were letting them through. They were EMTs. So I used, I, I kind of followed them to get in their wake so that I could get through the crowd because I had to get to the other side. Then, of course, naturally, the rubberneck Remy comes out, and I'm like, well, i got to see at least like where they're going. And it was to a guy who was basically passed out, and they immediately started pumping his stomach, and... I asked somebody, I'm like, what happened there? And they're like, that guy is absolutely crazy. He just bet that other dude over there five bucks that he couldn't bong a fifth of Jack, and he did it. Oh, my gosh. So that was something. Um, I mean, I've seen some stuff for sure. But from a racing standpoint, aside from the obvious, and I think people know, you know, I've been involved, unfortunately, in the radio broadcast of two very tragic events. I know that's not what you mean. Um, Sure, yeah. The craziest thing I saw was in, I think it was in, I can't remember if we were in New Hampshire or Watkins Glen, but there was an incident along pit road. I was working the pits. It was 07 or 08. And I can't remember. I remember it was, I think it was Sam Hornish Jr.'s father. And I want to say Tony Kanan got into like some altercation. And then the next thing I knew, like a, a team security guy and the dad of one of the drivers were like in, in a fisticuff and it like somebody, it was really one of the more impressive body slams I've ever seen. Wow. And I'm standing there like with my microphone and we're live on the air on the radio network. And I'm like, I don't know if I should put my mic in here and capture all this. And <laughs> it was like the lead story on sports. The best part about it was that night because IndyCar was still broadcasted by ESPN. So they got a lot of sports center play. And they're showing this, I think Michael Andretti was involved, or he was trying to play Peacemaker. And I'm standing there. The best part about it is, like, on the videotape, there's, like, five people. 
the four people fighting and then jackass me with some big fire suit on, like holding my microphone in the middle of it. You know, I mean, you never know what you're going to see. But that was, um, you know, the Power Dixon thing this, this weekend was interesting. It was fun, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm glad, obviously, neither of them was hurt. But um, I was almost, I hate to say this because I don't want to sound like I'm trying to be Vince McMahon, but I was almost disappointed on Sunday morning in the, the pre-race stuff when Dixon and Power were joking around about it. Oh, yeah. For it because they're both really good dudes. They're both mega, mega talents and, and arguably, you know, the, maybe the two best of our generation in open wheel racing. But, you know, I was thinking, guys, man, if you're getting along, that's cool. But wait till after the race to let people know it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, like yeah. Don't let, don't let people know this is solved just yet. That That was my first thought. By the way, I also should tell you, because I do owe you an apology, when I was a kid growing up in Steinmeier on the northeast side of Indianapolis, mm-hmm. there was there was a family in my neighborhood, and the 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 dad of the family was a, a fairly prominent guy locally, and his wife became a, a local politician, school board member, that kind of thing, and they were pretty prominent on the north side of town, very well liked, very nice people, and their last name is spelled the exact same as you, but it's pronounced Noe. Oh wow! Okay, a mental block for me forever. So every time I see your name in spelling. And, and professionally speaking, I regret that error, and I do so from a personal standpoint as well because my last name is Query, but it's spelled Q-U-E-R-Y, which is a very slippery slope. Uh-huh. So, so I can appreciate and respect the sensitivity one would have of their last name being mispronounced. And by calling you Noe on the air once, I, I do apologize to you, and I promise you that it was with um, totally like legitimate intention and origin oh it's all good man i appreciate that it's totally fine but uh that's cool of you to say how about this too one more on indycar racing because i've gone to a lot of nfl stadiums i only have a handful to check off the list but in terms of indycar racing is there a venue is there an area where you would highly recommend it and say man if you haven't been there you really need to go sometime that's a great question brian and i'll tell you what it's really hard for me. Here's what's funny. You know, I've now broadcasted. I, I actually am lame enough that I looked this up the other day. I think yesterday was my 233rd race that I broadcast. Oh, now, wow. Yeah. That's not 233 venues, right? Right. But that probably encompasses, I would guess, 25 or 30 different venues over the years. My first 20 IndyCar races I ever attended were the Indianapolis 500. So, you know, you go from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to anywhere else, and you're like, this, this is tiny, you know. Mm-hmm. That said, so I factor in a lot with that question. I mean, the environment, the fan base, the, the overall, the beauty of the area, the racing on the track, et cetera. The, the, the one that I would say unquestionably is a must-do is Long Beach. Now, that's mm-hmm. a street course, which means that it uses the temporary, temporarily they make the course out of the streets of Long Beach, California, but it is so embraced by the area. It's historic. It's right there on the on the ocean. It's a huge party in Southern California. If you've never been to Long Beach, it's an absolute must. That would be one of them. Um, I do think that Texas provides great racing on the Oval. It's very, very fun to watch. It's fairly breathtaking the entire time. No question about it. Uh, and then the other one that I would say... St. Pete is a good one just because of the fact that it kicks off the year. It's spring break week. You know, there's a festive feeling about being in St. Pete anyway, especially after coming out of the doldrums of the, of the winter in Indiana from the weather standpoint. 
So those would be the ones that jump out at me the most. But Road America, where IndyCar was yesterday, is a fabulous venue. It's huge. It's four miles. It's picturesque. It's like having a track in the middle of Brown County State Park. It's pretty cool. And the fans love it, so it's cool. Nice. Uh, Let me skip over to the Colts with you. What would you say just – I don't know if you ballpark it statistically or are not stats driven whatsoever. What are your general expectations for Anthony Richardson in his rookie season? I think in your rookie season, I mean, there's a difference between your expectation and your hope, right? Your hope sure. would be, I think your hope would be that a guy is able to play. I, I, and this is a challenge for fans. I realize, I think if you look at precedent in this town, Basically, in this town, since they came over from Baltimore, the Colts have had this experience with a franchise top 10 level. Obviously, the other three were number one overall. But a franchise quarterback taken right out of college. Like, you are their first franchise they're playing for. And it would be Jeff George, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck. Now, in Luck's case, Luck is probably the closest to Richardson in the fact that, well, Manning as well. I mean, you had a schedule that was favorable. You know, the Colts... The Colts didn't organically get the number one pick when they took Jeff George in 1990. They traded for it, so their schedule was a little challenging. But I think what if you look at those three guys, you know, Manning was so unique because he was so cerebral and he was unflappable in terms of throwing the highest number of interceptions for a rookie quarterback in league history. But he was learning the whole time, and they kept him clean. They kept him healthy. And they were able to get pieces around him. They were able to get him a receiver that year in Torrance Small that kind of became a comfort level for him. Harrison was hurt. But if you look at Luck, you know, everything fell into place for them in Luck's rookie year. But the the other thing that he had, again, Reggie Wayne, he had that safety net. He had that guy that kind of was somebody he could lean on a little bit. So I think for Richardson, what you've got to do is keep him clean like they did with Peyton. I think you've got to get him a safety net receiver, probably Pittman is who that's going to be, to keep him comfortable. I think the tight ends become very important as well because you've got to have that guy that you can kind of dump off to so that you're not in the pocket too long that just becomes that comfort level. And I think that's, you know, Ken Dilger was that for Peyton as a young player. I think that's going to be important for them to find somebody like that for him aside from just Pittman. But then the other thing is just, you know, with Jeff George, poor Jeff George was just rattled. You know, the line was so bad. He could never get his footing out from underneath him. And, and, I, and you know, he was running different off, offensive schemes. And they were, you know, you got Bob Ursay calling plays from the press box. It was just a total disaster. The long-winded and circuitous answer for you would be keep him healthy, but kind of keep it simple mm-hmm. and don't allow him to – don't expect and place too much on him and allow him to go at his pace. And that's a tough thing for fans because fans want wins. Wins yeah. will come in time, but you got to have that baseline first. Yeah. Do you think with all that said, does that tend to point to he's starting week one or let's give it a little bit of time? That's such a good question. I I, I think I don't know that that we nor they know that answer yet. I think that answer comes probably late in camp once you really see like what his competence level is. Mm -hmm. I just don't think like if you're teaching somebody how to drive a stick shift and you take them to the to the Kroger parking lot and they're learning how to drive the stick. You don't let them go on the road until they've been able to get like at least through fourth gear without stalling it, right? Yeah. And so, you know, even even if you know the car's jumping around a little bit, like you've got to get some stability to know that there's a comfort level through the basic 
shifts of the gears, to go back to that term. So I think that they don't know that until they get probably through a few preseason games to find out how confident he is in his reads, in his checkdowns. And then they, they, I think they only let him go once they feel like he has that confidence of the first couple of gears. If he doesn't, then you, you don't let him go, I don't think, because I think we've seen too many young quarterbacks, quite frankly, that get ruined by having their confidence shattered, and there's just no coming back from that. I mean, ask David Carr, right? There, yeah. We've seen it with guys where they start out, they look great, and then all of a sudden, you know, Rick Meyer is a good example from your neck of the woods. I mean, mm-hmm. Rick Meyer was a guy that had an unbelievable, you know, he was right there with Drew Bledsoe as a rookie. I mean, he was 1A and 1B, and by the time he's in year two or three of his, of his career, he's on his way to becoming a journeyman because they just never really – he had no stability around him and, and and you get fool's gold a little bit there in the beginning. And I think he was rushed in too early. So I think that's a, I don't know that anybody knows that answer. And I think that answer only comes once they've seen enough and then they're able to make it and they've got to stick by whichever way they go with it. Yeah, no, I think that's a great answer right there, Jake. Well, Hey man, it was good to talk to you and I'm glad that we covered the spectrum over here. You know, we got, I cannot say it right. Pergolas, uh, we got IndyCar in there. We got some Colts. I feel like we're highly productive today. You? I mean, I would agree. Basically, just think of it this way. The easiest way to think of it is think of me sitting in the backyard under a canopy with my old neighbors, the Noes, and a guy who just bonged to fit the jack but dropped the E off their last name, and we got it all encompassed. I, yeah, man, we covered a lot of ground, man. But uh, it was good to hang with you, Jake. I hope you have a good rest of the day, and, and we'll catch you tomorrow morning, man. All right, sounds good. I appreciate it. All right, we'll see you. There he is, Jake Query. Kevin and Query in the morning here on The Fan. Man, good stuff. Yeah, so, wow, the guy that tried to take down a fifth of Jack. Man, that's that's aggressive right there. James does. Um, is it uh, – do you go with bombing a fifth of Jack or is it bonging a fifth of Jack? You know, like the beer bong. Like, how do you say it? <sighs> See, I so I haven't heard really either of those. Like I've heard chugging, but chugging. I, yeah, I, I would guess I would say bonging like a beer bong. That I would think be my so. guess. Yeah, I think it's a uh, hey, shotgunning. Bon- yeah, That's one sh- I've heard. I I always think of that where the people they like use their keys or something mm-hmm. and like punch a hole in the side. I've only thought of that as shotgunning. Yeah. I, 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 know, I have no idea. I mean, I would I would just say he chugged a, a fifth of Jack. That's how I would phrase it. Oh, that's aggressive right there, man. It's a bad idea. Oh, holy cow. I don't know how far you could, like, honestly, I don't know how far you could go. I'm not a drinker uh, myself. I, I, I'm completely inexperienced. Um, shout out to my dad, Father's Day yesterday. Uh, but he, for a long time, he struggled big time with drinking. But he got clean and... Um, sober for you know, over 15 years. Um, but I was just like, you know what? I could see myself being a lunatic. So I just never started. So I, I speak from a place of total um, not having information, if you will, not being experienced. But I can't imagine you could get very far like just putting a fifth of Jack in a beer bong. Like, that's just going to melt your entire throat, man. Like, I don't see how you could get beyond a handful of swigs. Well, Jake Jake just texted me a little bit more information. He said there was a beer bong on the ground and an empty bottle of Jack. So I guess he did just beer bong the whole bottle of Jack. <sighs> wow, man. That's... 
Hmm. That's how you you, uh, screw up your liver for the rest of your life. (laughs) That's that's how we left. How we lost Jeff Hanneman from Slayer. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. (laughs) You don't want to do stuff like that. Now, I don't know that he was beer bonging fifths of Jack, but he was doing a lot of drinking. I don't think he was beer bonging fifths of Jack, but yes, he uh, he was. uh, uh, He he really liked his booze. He liked his beer. See, I think that's. The best way to illustrate for the metalheads out there just how aggressive this beer bonging of a fifth of Jack was. Even Jeff Hanneman wouldn't think of doing that. <laughs> he was a hardcore drinker. It uh, cost him his life eventually, sadly, but an yeah. amazing guitarist there. Uh, I'm Brian, though, in for JMV. It's 93.5, 107.5, the fan. A few things with the, uh, the Colts. I thought it was interesting what Jake was talking about. Man, you think about that added layer of pressure for Anthony Richardson. And I would also throw Jordan Love into the mix. Where think about this. It's more so with the Packers, for sure. But it's similar with the Colts. If you think about Green Bay, you go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers to question mark. And they are used to... Like, you ever go... Let's take a game, for instance. Let's say... The games that you go to, whether it's football, baseball, you spend a little bit of money and you're used to really good seats. Maybe you like sitting behind home plate. Maybe you like sitting at the 50-yard line. Whatever your cup of tea is, but they are really good seats. And then all of a sudden, you switch one game and somehow you end up in the nosebleeds. It makes it even worse when it's completely different than what you're accustomed to. And so I think for Jordan Love, Packer fans are used to high-end quarterback play for the last three decades. And I don't care what anyone says. A Packer fan might tell you in June, like, "Ah, I'm going to be reasonable. Yeah, come talk to me in week nine if he's really struggling. And it's completely different than what you are used to. Now, if you shift it to the Colts, now there's been quite the gap between Andrew Luck and now. And it feels like those years have been tripled. Instead of like five-ish years, it feels like it's 15, maybe 20. Maybe I was kind. It was quadrupled. It feels like it's been forever since the Colts have had competent quarterback play. And you actually had a competent year with Phillip Rivers sandwiched in the middle of all of that. But the point still remains And the last handful of years are a testament to it. When you go from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck, that's a lot of stability, man. That's a lot of high-end quarterback play. And so when you mix it, you know, I come to think of it, I never put two and two together. I think that is part of the reason why Carson Wentz's one season with the Colts was greatly blown out of proportion. Is because of exactly that. You're used to higher-end quarterback play. You're used to Peyton Manning. You're used to Andrew Luck. But, man, Carson Wentz, his season, I, I think, and listen, some people think I'm off my rocker with this, but I honestly believe this. I think it is the most underrated season in the history of the NFL. Some people think that I just shotgunned or beer-bonged a fifth of Jack, but I didn't. If you look at, and I'm not telling you it was perfect, it's far from perfect, but I've never heard so many people make 27 touchdowns and seven interceptions sound like the opposite. 
Like it was literally seven touchdowns and 27 picks. Again, he didn't play well in the final week against Jacksonville. There was a pick six against Tennessee, I remember, at home. And it was not a work of art. But all I've heard are the negatives of, well, he didn't reach 200 yards passing in X amount of games. And he didn't, and he didn't, and he didn't, and he didn't. It was a broken record. But I think it was built on the heels of, you're used to premium quarterback play. And so this lesser version... I think it was greatly blown out of proportion. I think a lot of it stems from that. And so it'll be really interesting to see what the evaluations and the common thoughts are of both Anthony Richardson and also Jordan Love. Because when those guys take over at the QB position for different franchises that have had a lot of success quarterback-wise, I, I'm... I mean, sometimes average looks like way below average real fast. It's funny how that works. Uh, how about this real fast? So I was bringing up Jordan Love. This uh, this did not work out well. He um, he wished Bears fans a happy Father's Day. Check this out. Happy Father's Day to uh, all the Bears fans out there. Go Pack Go. Okay, so... Uh, the weird part about this is he's wishing Bears fans happy Father's Day. He's accidentally implying that he's their son, right? Like, they're his daddy. <laughs> like, that is, I don't know. It, it was not a, um, a well-rehearsed or well-thought-out attempt at top-shelf trash-talking there. Did not work out very well. Um... And I think it shows you. I don't know where it comes from. Was it uh, there was a former uh, or a current Bears player that talked trash about the Packers fan base? I don't know if he was weighing in on that. I don't know if it's, you know, trying to take the baton from Aaron Rodgers, who once yelled at the Soldier Field faithful, like, I own you. I still own you. Right. Like, I don't know if it's Jordan Love trying to, you know, Add the next chapter to some friendly trash talk with the Bears faithful. I don't know, but it didn't work out very well. Did not work out very well at all for Jordan Love. Happy Father's Day to uh, all the Bears fans out there. Go Pack Go. But again, right, it goes back to we're comparing him immediately to Aaron Rodgers. And no matter how unfair that is, it's going to be a thing. I don't know how you just forget that. Like... If you're used to the good life and all of a sudden, whether it's your occupation, whether it's where you live, whether it's the food that you eat, and all of a sudden you have greatly regressed. It is hard not to compare the current situation with the past situation that was way better. So I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch that play out with Anthony Richardson and uh, Jordan Love because that is not an ideal situation. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, compare it to the Houston Texans and C.J. Stroud. Who, who's the decorated, just unbelievable? Deshaun Watson had a good run, but it was a short, limited run. It wasn't what the Packers have had for three decades. So, interesting backdrop there. All right, coming up next, it takes a lot more than just talent. A little NFL comparison at the wide receiver position, okay? We'll do that Coming up, I'm Brian No in for JMV. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Can you fly this plane and land it? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I'm Brian, though, in for JMV here on The Fan. So we've got some tickets to give away a little bit later in the show. Squeeze in the psychedelic furs. That is right. September 22nd, the Brown County Music Center. So just listen for the rejoin music. Caller number nine. We'll get you squared away with some tickets there. Go check them out. I mentioned to James, I was like, you know what? You might want to do this as an ongoing bit is uh, just play Slayer. Just pick one Slayer song. Whatever. Let's go Raining Blood. And that's the sounder for any act, any band, any... Oh, there it is. There's Raining Blood. That's your cue to win Billie Eilish tickets right now on the fan. What do you think about that, James? Maybe oh, I, I love that plan. That would be great. I mean, we get Taylor Swift tickets or something. You hear Raining Blood, you call in, you get Taylor Swift tickets. Of yeah. Course. It, it, it ties in perfectly. You know, JMV's a cool dude. He doesn't strike me as a metalhead, but did you see so. JMV going for that? Maybe? I Maybe? don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I, he does have that... Uh, He's got that uh, that charm where he's like, you know, if you kind of sell it hard enough, like JMV, let's do it, man. Come on, mm-hmm. let's do it. He'd be like, yeah, all right, let's give it a shot. <laughs> I think he would get a kick out of it, at least at first. Yeah, you would, would laugh about that for sure. I think you got to be a metalhead at heart mm-hmm. to really laugh at it. Oh, so, yes. yeah, he might give it the thumbs down right there. But <laughs> uh, we'll have some uh, tickets for you. Squeezing the psycho- psychedelic furs. So, uh that's coming up around the corner here. Uh, how about this? This caught my attention here. Stefan Diggs of the Bills. Now, I'm going to bring it back to the Colts here because I want to compare it to Michael Pittman Jr. in a second. But if you look at what's going on with Stefan Diggs, so we know the story from last week. He was upset about something, wasn't there for the Tuesday practice, then was back there at camp for the Wednesday practice, and you had the head coach saying, oh, I'm really concerned about this. Everybody was here except for Stefan. Josh Allen, the quarterback's trying to play peacemaker, I guess. Uh, trying to say, oh, I could do a better job. And yada, yada. It was this whole fiasco last week. So Ben Volan does a great job, writes for the Boston Globe. On Sunday, he had a nugget regarding the situation. And he wrote, Diggs' frustration is with his role in the offense and his voice in play calling per a league source close to the Bills' locker room. That's according to Ben Volan. And so I I just started thinking about this, and Stephon Diggs is a fantastic wide receiver. There's no denying that. But it's June, and he's upset with his role in the offense and his voice in play calling. Yeah, that that's what we're going with over here. That's the source of the frustration. Think about all the drama and all the layers where there were reports, oh, it's not football-related. No, it's something different, not football-related. It seems to be pretty football-related. That never made sense either. Would he have been really ticked off his parking space? He didn't like that. He didn't like what they served in the cafeteria for, for lunch. Or, come on, man, of course it's going to be football-related. That was just silly. But if you look at Diggs, 
Look at his production. I'm going to bring it back to Michael Pittman Jr. here in a minute. But if you look at Diggs, he's been with the Bills for the last three years. So these are his catches year by year. 127, 103, and 108 last season. Okay, yardage year by year. Over 1,500 yards, over 1,200 yards. Last year, over 1,400 yards. And then touchdowns per season, 8, 10, and 11 last year. Like, so run this by me again. His role in the offense. What? I know a lot of this stems from the playoff loss against the Bengals. He didn't think he was getting the ball enough. And then he was seen on the sideline, you know, having an animated conversation with Josh Allen with his arms to the side leg. Yo! 1 4 14. Your boy, Diggs, throw me the rock. <laughs> like that sort of thing. And look, I can understand in the heat of the moment, totally get that. I can understand even storming out without meeting with the media, although I feel that's lame. I get it. Just lost a playoff game. You're ticked off. I'll give you some grace. I'll give you a little grace for that. It's June. It is June. And he's still ticked off. Like, come on, man. That's where I go back to. It takes more than talent. And if you compare this to Michael Pittman Jr., look at what this guy's done. So the last two years, 88 catches and 99 catches. Nearly 1,100 yards last year, a little north of 900 yards. I'm sorry, a little over, close to 1,100 two seasons ago and over 900 last season. The touchdowns, that's where it leaves something to be desired, six and four. But here's the deal. Look at who's throwing him the ball. We got Carson Wentz. I thought his 21 season was underrated. Not a work of art, but underrated. And then last season, Matt Ryan behind an underperforming offensive line. If you put Michael Pittman Jr. as wide receiver number one in that Bills offense with Josh Allen throwing him the ball, his numbers are a lot better. Stephon Diggs, his numbers are way better in Buffalo than they were in Minnesota. And he put up some decent numbers. He had a couple of decent seasons in Minnesota. Touchdown catches, pretty good. Season with eight, season with nine, pretty good. One season, 102 catches. The rest, there's season 52, 64, 63. The point is this. It matters who's throwing you the football. And it's not a mystery why Stephon Diggs' numbers have gotten way, way better in Buffalo. He's got Josh Allen. Josh Allen's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He's on the short list in the pecking order. He's a top five guy, for sure. And so I'm curious what Michael Pittman Jr. could do with the top five quarterback himself. His numbers would be a lot better. But I keep coming back to this. It takes more than just talent. It can't just be about you. You can't let something linger for... We're going on close to half a year. This is lingering. How can that be? What happens? This is, you know, mid-June. What happens when it's week 11 and the Bills have lost two straight and Diggs' targets are down? You know what I'm saying? What if this is a playoff game and he's got one target in the first half? Does he have a meltdown again? It takes more than just being talented. It takes more than just being productive. 
And I can understand Stephon Diggs thinking, getting me the ball helps the team win. I totally understand that mentality. But it doesn't help the team win if the star wide receiver freaks out because he's not getting the ball enough. And that's where I look at a guy like Michael Pittman Jr. And look, I, I don't see any of that. I don't see him really losing it. If he's in a playoff game, put it like this. If he's teammates with Josh Allen and he's wide receiver number one, I don't see him melting down the same way Stephon Diggs did. And I've made it perfectly clear. I'll give him some grace in the moment. Freaks out on the sideline, storms out, doesn't meet with the media. Okay, all right. But mid-June, like, come on, man. Come on. And you look around the sports world, really. I mean, a lot of this, a couple of examples come to mind in the NBA. If it's Kyrie Irving, who sometimes gets in his own way. If it's John Morant, who has royally gotten in his own way and suspended for 25 games with the second gun video. Like, those guys are incredibly talented players. Incredibly talented But it takes more than just that. How professional are you? How mature are you? How how much humility do you have at times? It's this mixture of supreme confidence and humility and patience if things aren't going your way. And there are a lot of highly skilled players that just don't have that. And it hurts the team. The real interesting part to me is with the Bills... And Stephon Diggs, look, you're going to have to deal with some high-maintenance people in life, especially sports. It's just going to happen. Like, Aaron Rodgers was the definition of high-maintenance. All right? I understand why you don't get rid of that guy after two years of that because he's one of the best quarterbacks in the game. If you look at Stephon Diggs, he's one of the best receivers in the game. And so that's where it gets really, really tricky is how much do we let slide and at what point do we say this is actually getting in the way of winning? This is a roadblock. This is a hurdle in the way of winning and winning in the NFL is hard enough. The AFC is a gauntlet. And stuff like this, this could be the difference between your season continuing and your season ending. (laughs) When you're going up against, from a Bills perspective, the Chiefs, the Bengals, Uh, The Jets now with Aaron Rodgers. The Dolphins are a good team. Lamar Jackson's back with the Ravens. Look out for the Browns. If Deshaun Watson reverts back to his previous good Texans form, that's a team that's pretty talented. You just can't have the star wide receiver bent about something that happened five, six months ago. The head coach freaked out about it and saying so publicly the star quarterback taking up for the wide receiver and saying it's non-football related we got a fiasco in mid-june my goodness that's the thing that's where i think the colts are two things here the stage that they're in they're obviously trying to upgrade the talent but you also have to make sure the core right the foundation is set i'm not saying anything they don't know okay But I think there's a a, a lot of focus on just talent, 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 get more talent. You got to have more talent on the roster. That's true, but that's not the only thing. 
you got to have a legitimate foundation. If your foundation for the for the Grizzlies is built on top of John Morant, that is a shaky foundation. Okay, if your foundation was built on partly Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn, Kyrie Irving in Boston, that is a shaky foundation. And so Chris Ballard's trying to do two things at once. He's trying to get as much talent as possible, but he's also trying to make sure the core of the team is a strong foundation where it's not like Stephon Diggs, who although is putting up numbers and one of the league leaders, you're causing unnecessary drama in June. How can I ever expect you in a big-time regular season or playoff game to be the voice of reason and a leader? I can't expect that at all. All right, let's go out to the phones here real fast. George wants to talk some Stefan Diggs. Curious what George thinks. What's going on, George? Hey, what's going on? Good afternoon. Yeah, hey, to- totally, totally on the same page. Like when it comes to a culture, it's about it's about trust, and trust is about competence and character. And character is severely lacking with Stefan Diggs. It's it's not so much what he is doing because there's lots of me people, especially professional athletes. It's about me. It's about my stats. It's about my money. It's the how that he's doing it, that he's calling his quarterback out, passive-aggressive, calling his quarterback out on the carpet. To your point, he's not just doing it in the middle of a game with emotion. He's doing it in the off season. And here's where the real problem is. To your point, he's not going to be viewed as a leader in the locker room. But then going down, Josh Allen's going to be forcing the ball into him. And, And they think interceptions was a problem before this. It's only become more of a problem. And then you have Gabe Davis getting mad. And then the Bills are not being as good of a team as they can be. So, long story short, I agree with what you're saying. And the core has got to be about talent and character. Yeah. Amen. Hey, thanks for the call, George. Good stuff. Yeah, you look around the league and really ask yourself, same situation as the Bills last year. The top-end wide receivers. Are they handling it the same way? Devontae Adams. And it's it's crazy the numbers Devontae Adams put up last season with the Raiders. He had over 1,500 yards and 14 touchdowns on a team that underperformed. But Devontae Adams not freaking out like that. He's not letting it linger until June, you know? I I can see a lot of guys. I can't see that with... I'm just looking at the lead league, league, league leaders in yardage. Amon Ross St. Brown of the Lions. No way. What do you do that? Um... Uh, think about A.J. Brown. Had a really good season with the Eagles. I don't see him. He I, he did have, uh, you know, he was upset not getting the ball enough, I believe, in a playoff game. But it didn't linger. It wasn't an ongoing thing. It was squashed. Again, I have no problem with Diggs being animated on the sideline or even not meeting with the media. I, I can understand that. But, man, when you're still messed up about it in June, that is alarming right there, man. Very alarming. All right, coming up next, there's news about a player that I would say is both selfish and unselfish at the same time. I'm Brian No in for JMV. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
The Ride with JMV. Excuse me, Robo. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? Stay out of trouble. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I'm Brian Noen for JMV here on The Fan. Oh, that's right. It's time to get on in here. You want to see Squeeze in the Psychedelic Furs? Caller number nine will hook you up. September 22nd at the Brown County Music Center. That is right. Man, I need to see some uh, squeeze in the psychedelic furs. I was just telling James, I need to ease my pain over here. My St. Louis Cardinals are awful. My gosh, <laughs> they're down 5 nothing already. It was as early as the second inning. They're playing the Nationals. Goodness. It's just, it, they can't get out of their own way. And I know JMV would love me. Uh, belly aching about this as a Reds fan and they are red hot my goodness eight in a row their longest winning streak since 2012 man and my Redbirds are just the opposite now my dad was born right outside of St. Louis he was born in Alton Illinois and so he passed down the uh the Cardinals gene to me so I ride hard for the Cardinals and they uh they have not, they've not been doing me any favors they are 14 games under 500 man I'm the Nationals, they almost have the same record. The Cardinals are 29 and 43. The Nationals are 27 and 43. Goodness. Wow. Man. If you could rig the contest where I could win those tickets, James, I feel like that could help my, uh, that could ease my, my pain right here. No, I'm just kidding. We won't do that. Um, okay. Top of the hour, Alex Golden. We'll talk some Pacers. But I want to talk a little bit of hoops here. There was a story involving Michigan State product, Draymond Green with the Golden State Warriors. So he's opting out. He declined his $27.6 million player option for this coming season. And so his agent, Rich Paul, he says, you know what? We're going to continue to talk to Golden State, explore all options. Draymond wants a max deal. He has wanted that to the tune of, about $164 million over five seasons. Eee, whoa. <laughs> that is a lot at this stage of his career, man. Uh, the interesting thing, I didn't know this. I plead ignorance on this. I didn't know that the Players Association, they forbid a player like, say, Draymond Green. If he opts out of this final year for $27.6 million, he can't then re-sign with the same team for less money. They don't allow that. And so Draymond Green, he'd have to get a long-term extension, and the first year of this deal, it can't be less than the option he just declined. I didn't know that before. I find that to be really interesting. And I get it from the Players Association standpoint. They don't want to be giving ground and, and losing you know, a, a foothold in terms of what a player can command financially. That makes all the sense in the world. I just didn't know that's how it worked. I thought that was interesting. I uh, found out about that recently. But the thing with Draymond is, I'll give him uh, praise and criticism at the same time. Because Draymond Green partially is unselfish, and he's partially selfish. He plays a very unselfish style of basketball where he does the dirty work. He's rebounding. He's playing defense. He's hard-nosed. 
I completely respect that about him. He's guarding dudes that are way bigger than him so they can play small ball. And I respect his game. He's highly unselfish. But then you know the drill. At times, he turns selfish. He's, you know, super punching uh, Jordan Poole, something that you would see maybe in an MMA octagon. You know what I mean? Or he's picking up a technical foul at the worst possible time. He's got a vendetta against this ref, or he's got this beef with this other player, and sometimes he's selfish. It's a interesting blend where his game can be so unselfish, but sometimes his personality, he can be selfish. The other thing is this. Bucky Brooks, who covers the NFL, uh, he covers, he's a, a draft guy, does a phenomenal job, and he's had this saying for a long time. Is this player a truck, or is it a trailer? Meaning, like, the truck that is pulling all the weight behind him? Or is it a trailer? And it's being pulled by the truck that it's attached to. Make no mistake, at this stage of his career, Draymond Green is absolutely a trailer. He is not a truck pulling guys along. He is a trailer that is primarily being pulled by Steph Curry. And this is where it's really complex. It's like, welcome to being a GM, Mike Dunleavy Jr. (laughs) It's like, what are you going to do? Steph Curry's going to be ticked off if you don't extend Draymond. But Draymond is a trailer. And he wants a max deal. That's... I can see why Bob Myers said, you know what? I think that was a good time for me to hit the road over here. We won four championships. Pretty good. I... See the handwriting on the wall? I, I, you know, I, let me explore other endeavors for a little while. <laughs> Makes sense. See what happens. Okay, we go from Golden State and the Michigan State product of Draymond Green to Alex Golden, huh? Golden meets Golden. But we're talking about the Pacers around the corner. What's the best case scenario come Thursday when the draft is here? We'll compare notes. I'm Brian No in for JMV. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. With JMV. Jenny! David Letterman! Hi, David! I'm Grandpa! 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I'm Brian No in for JMV here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Alex Golden, covers the Pacers. Setting the Pace podcast here on The Fan with us. Alex, I'm going to get to the Pacers, but man, I... Uh, I think every radio host has this, like, terror and panic of, like, did I take too big of a bite before we're back on the air again? You know what I mean? And I just had a massive handful of Cheez-Its. Are you a Cheez-It fan yourself? I I won't lie. I had Cheez-Its earlier today. So, yes, I am a Cheez-It fan. Man, that's awesome to hear. I feel like we're bonding already, Alex. And here's the thing, man. I, I saw it was a bowl game. It was a college football bowl game. And Dan Orlovsky was doing color of the game. I think it was the Cheez-It Bowl. And he mentioned, he was like, yeah, I found out. They told me, you don't say Cheez-Its 
it's like technically incorrect. You would have to say cheese it. But I'm like you. I put the S there. I, I can't mm-hmm. I can't go singular cheese it. It just sounds wrong to me. Yeah, cheese it sounds like one. Cheese it sounds like multiple. Yeah. Right. Like so we're just supposed to go cheese it? It's a little bit like saying I think you're supposed to say is like the Miami Heat is heading into game five or whatever like that. But it sounds better to say the Miami Heat are heading into game five. Like, that's the way you would normally talk. Yeah. <laughs> right? No, I get it. I get it. The yeah. English language is very confusing sometimes. It is. It's crazy. Crazy. We make our own rules over here, Alex, is what we're going for here. So the Pacers, <laughs> let's turn our attention to them. Within reason, what do you think would be ideal for the Pacers in their first pick come Thursday? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think that if they can get one of Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks at number seven to, to find someone that could be the long-term starting power forward, that is probably the most realistic and most ideal outcome for Thursday's draft for the Pacers. But, uh, you know, everybody wants to swing for the fences. Neither of these guys really seem like swinging for the fences for me. Uh, I think they're both very good players, very good complementary players. And uh, – I'm I'm excited to see what both can become in the league, but I don't see all-star potential in either of these two. I feel like these are guys that are more solid role players on good teams. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at. I just think that makes the most sense based on everything we've heard. It feels like if you're looking at trading up, if you're looking at trading out, you're just giving up a lot of uh, potential assets to, to make these moves. And I just don't know if the Pacers are there yet to, to do that. So I think at seven, one of those two guys makes the most sense. Do you think there's an Anthony Richardson-type basketball player in this draft? Meaning the Colts quarterback, he goes fourth overall, and he's got this boom-bust potential where he's got great you know, gifts to work with, but he's got limited experience, and we don't know which way it's going to shake out. It might not be a carbon copy all across the board with everything that I mentioned, but is there a player that has a lot of raw talent, but... If it's realized, it's going to be great. If it's not realized, it's going to be a bust. Do you see anybody along those lines? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I don't know if there's anybody that has less experience like that. That's the one thing with Anthony Richardson, like just a little bit of experience. But I would say both the Thompson twins kind of fit that mold uh, just because they were two guys that nobody really got to see a lot of. Overtime Elite is very new to a lot of people. Probably a lot of people don't even know how to watch it. Um, so you're you're watching a different league and stuff like that. And they do a great job of trying to get their guys ready for the next step in their careers, whether it's the NBA draft, going to the G League or uh, overseas, whatever that might be. But, yeah, I think both Amen and Asar Thompson are in that in that mold because they could be boomer bust. It's just uh, we've only heard great things about them as people off the floor, and I think that uh, speaks volumes to who they could become as players. Um, someone that might be a little bit more – in the in the know is a guy like Gigi Jackson. He's the youngest player in this draft. Didn't have a great year at South Carolina in terms of uh, stuff that happened off the off the court, but he's a very young kid. His father's a preacher. I think that he's got a lot of potential as a player, and he's super raw, super young. But you get him in the right infrastructure, I think that this is a guy that could be a be a steal of the draft come uh, four or five years from now. He's Alex Golden, covers the Pacers, setting the pace podcast, joining us here on The Fan. How about, I I was talking about this earlier in the show, being interesting. Don't get me wrong, Alex. I want to see the Pacers win. 
That's the primary focus. But secondarily, if I'm going to a game, if I'm watching the games on TV, and there are a bunch of them each season, I want to be captivated. I want to be seeing an entertaining product. In terms of entertainment value, do you see a player that you think is more entertaining than the other guys around the range of where the Pacers are picking? Mm. Um, I mean, if I'm going to answer this question, honestly, probably not. But I think Cam Whitmore probably fits that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that question the best because this is a freak athlete that can do some crazy things. I don't know if his fit would be ideal with the Pacers or who they already have on the roster, but I think that seeing the highs of Cam Whitmore, you're going to be like, oh my God, this dude's a freak. He's an incredible athlete. He's better than I thought he was. And I think that his playmaking was better in high school than it was at Villanova. And that's kind of been one of the knocks on him is he's not a good playmaker because he didn't show any of that really. I think he averaged like .7 assists at uh, Villanova. So that's where people are kind of skeptical about him long-term, like especially next to a guy like Matherin because he doesn't have a high assist to uh, a high assist uh, rating there. So uh, I just, I feel like Cam Whitmore is going to be one of those guys. Like if he goes to Detroit at five, I think that Pacer fans are going to be having nightmares for a while because the trio of uh, Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey and Cam Whitmore could be lethal in like two to three years. And they've got Jalen Duren as well. I mean, if Detroit's able to get him at five, I think that's going to be very scary for the Eastern Conference because he's got that potential. He's got that dog in him. He's got that it factor. Uh, so I think he'd be one of the most entertaining prospects if you know the Pacers were able to get their hands on him. I get nervous, man, when I see some of these prospects, and it's like, okay, this dude, take Taylor Hendricks, for instance, elite defender, could become a reliable second scorer. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right, I'm listening. And then there are other, you know, like uh, you look and it's like, oh, this guy, elite defender, versatile, strong. He doesn't shoot it that great. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Run this not shooting it so great thing by me again. Uh, do you feel the same way when you're evaluating these players and someone isn't that great on the offensive end? I think shooting-wise, I get a little bit worried about players just because we've seen how many times in the playoffs in different scenarios where – Guys that can't shoot the basketball, they get played off the court. Even really good players, like, we're not even going to guard this guy. So now we're playing four on five when we're on offense because the other defense is just helping out, taking, trying to take away other advantages that we might have by leaving the X player open. So that's, that's one of the big concerns I have with some of the guys. Like, you know, Jairus Walker is one of those guys I do have concerns, and I feel like maybe I'm overvaluing uh, shooting because, you know, it, it's one of those NBA – like they prioritize shooting so much and put such a big emphasis on it that it's kind of like ingrained in your head. Like, okay, we got to have shooters because this Pacers team for a while with Sabonis and Karis LeVert, they didn't have any shooting with those two guys really. So it was kind of like, okay, these guys can score, but they can't shoot. And then they were liabilities on the, on the defense too. So uh, that was not a good prop. That was not a, a good combination there of those two guys. But yeah, I just think overall, Guys that can put the ball in the basket, that's great. But I think shooting to me is something I really value and something I prioritize a lot. And so that's why, like, Taylor Hendricks makes so much sense because mm-hmm. shot just right under 40% from three last year. I think he averaged, like, 16 to 17 points a game. And, you know, he's a rim protector as a four. He can play a little bit of small ball five. He can guard up and play, guard against threes as well. So 
that to me is why I'm a little bit more intrigued by him. But um, he's still pretty raw talent, so it's going to take some time, and I wouldn't expect those numbers to just happen right away when he comes into the league. And I think that's the hard thing is just being patient and not getting your expectations too high for a guy. You know, uh, Jimmy Butler was picked 30th overall, and I'm not asking you to find another Jimmy Butler at that point because the Pacers are picking 26th and 29th. What I will ask is, what do you think the game plan might be? Do you see them picking two players, or do you see them packaging both picks and moving up a little bit higher? Yeah, I think that would be the goal, is to package those picks and move up in this draft. I think that they would even be intrigued by adding a player, potentially, to move up even higher if there's somebody out there that makes a lot of sense. Like We've heard rumblings that Dallas could trade their pick at 10, uh, the Pelicans could trade their pick at 14. I, I think that there's even some speculation that OKC could trade their pick at 12, and you know the Lakers have picks up. And there's a lot of people in that like 10 to 18, 19 range that I think make a lot of sense. But when you start getting into the 20 and beyond, a lot of these teams are uh, have traded these picks to other teams, like the Pacers have the Cavs and the Celtics pick. I know that the the Blazers have an additional pick. The Nets have two picks. So it's one of those things where it's like okay. Uh, the Pacers, if they really want to move up, is 26 and 29 enough? I don't think it necessarily is unless you look at a team like the Lakers who could be up against the cap that say, okay, well, we'll, you know, we'll trade you 17 for 26 and 29. That way we can add a couple more guys to our roster and not have to worry about having high salaries on them. So that is uh, one advantage point there of having those two later picks is uh, you could trade that to a team that needs, you know, cheap contracts. So, that's one of the teams that I've been keeping an eye on. I think Golden State could be in the same boat as uh, the Lakers as well in terms of wanting to get a couple more cheap contracts to fill out the rest of their roster. But don't be surprised if you see teams like Boston, teams like the Nuggets, uh, and even maybe I'm Phoenix really doesn't have anything anymore now, but teams that you know don't have their first-round pick, could they try to trade to get back into the first round? I think the Knicks are another key candidate for that. Uh, they could trade in, into where the Pacers are picking at 26 or 29, and the Pacers could turn this year's pick into a pick next year and just kind of move those assets further down the road, which also makes a lot of sense because the Pacers, unfortunately, are you know limited with their uh, with their roster space because they have, I think, 12 guys on the roster already. So they don't have a lot of room to draft all these guys. But um, trading up or trading out completely, to me, makes the most sense instead of taking all these picks. We're talking Pacers with Alex Golden here. Yeah, there are a lot of people that say this draft is a lot more talented than next year's draft. There are a lot of people that believe that. With that being said, do you expect a lot more wheeling and dealing? We normally see trades freaking galore, as you well know, in the NBA draft. Do you think we're due for an uptick if a lot of franchises view it that same way, where this is the talent-rich draft and next year's not so much? Could we see even more movement? No, I, I totally agree with that. I think with the new CBA coming into place as well, teams are going to try to take advantage of things. While we do usually see a lot of movement on Thursday's draft night every single year, there's a lot more smoke than what actually usually happens. I end up usually walking away a little bit disappointed based on all the rumors that we hear. Maybe like 10% of them actually happen or, or come close to it. So I think this year you'll probably see more close to like 30 40% of those rumors come true just because there's so much to, to be done before the new CBA kicks in. And I think a lot of these teams are trying to find ways to, to figure things out because they still don't know what the new CBA is, 
CBA is going to be. They're going basically off of a sheet they were given for kind of like projections. So that to me is why I think things are going to get crazy. And you have to remember a lot of these teams all feel like they're in contention. I think the only team like right now feels like they're not trying to win is Washington after they traded Bradley Beal to the Phoenix Suns. So Mm. all the other 29 teams in the league are probably looking at ways to try to improve their roster. And with the draft, like you said, not being as glamorous next season, this is a perfect draft to try to trade back into with so many teams having multiple picks like Utah, like Indiana, like Portland, like Brooklyn. Uh, I just think this is a great opportunity for those teams that have all these picks to, to figure out ways to continue adding uh, more assets down the line as well. So, yeah, I think you're going to see a very busy Thursday night, which is always exciting because the NBA just they know how to take uh, the drama and run with it. I'm really curious, man. Like, when you look around the league, so many interesting teams, storylines. Like, what did the Blazers do? Did they move Dame? We heard the rumors with Zion going. Now he's expected not to go. OKC, and they have 97 first-round picks. Did they get aggressive? Did they go crazy in this year's draft? Which team, with all that being said, do you find the most compelling, where the storylines are just that interesting to you? Yeah, I mean, Portland's obviously an easy one just because there's so much speculation. Like, do they pick Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson at pick number three? Do they trade three and and try to get a talent to help them be more of a playoff contender? Do they trade Dame and and do what Washington did and kind of just say, hey, we're going to take pick three, we're going to trade Dame and see what assets we can get for him? So they're a team that has multiple different directions that they could go. Uh, OKC, like you said, they do have a ton of picks, so it's very interesting to see how they could use all those picks because I think they're ready to win now. But, yeah, I'm I'm trying to think if there's another team that makes a lot of sense in this. I think Toronto is another team to keep an eye on because it's been kind of reported multiple times that, oh, they could rebuild, they they could buy into this roster, but, you know, Van Vliet's a free agent, their starting point guard. Uh, Pascal Siakam, he's on the, his final year of his contract. OG Ananobi, uh, he's got a player option for next year. If the Raptors decide, hey, we're going to run it back with this core, well, is is Van Vliet going to be there? Is Gary Trent Jr., who's also a free agent, going to be there? Those two guys could be out. And then you've got to think about, okay, Siakam could leave after the season's over and go sign with a new team, and OG Ananobi could opt out and, and find a new team as well. So, if the Raptors are bullish and want to try to run it back, it could bite them in the butt if they don't take advantage of these assets being hotter than they've ever been. Um, and that, to me, is why I'm just keeping such a close eye on what's happening there because they have a lot of great players that could help teams. And if they're unwilling to move them and embrace a rebuild, they could end up losing all those assets for nothing next year, which I think would be just a, a bad look on Toronto's uh, front office because they got Kawhi Leonard basically for De- DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Pertl, and it didn't seem like a great trade at the time. Uh, for the Spurs, it was an okay trade for them, but it got the Raptors a championship, and I think since then they've been hanging on to that trade thinking we're going to get the same kind of value, and that's just not the case. So I just feel like Toronto, Portland, those are your two main teams to watch now that Washington's trade of Bradley Beal. But other than that, I think a lot of the other teams are kind of just waiting for those dominoes to fall. Okay, final, final one. Real fast, I have to know. Yeah. In terms of your favorite snack, are you Team Cheez-It or Team Something Else, Alex? Well, what's actually hilarious is we did, me and my friends, we did a podcast, uh, and we did a snack bracket. And mm. in the salty region, 
Cheez-Its did win. Ah, yes. (laughs) I will say this. uh, For some reason, pretzels got put in the healthy section. Oh, wow. uh, Dots pretzels was a... one of the category or one of the one of the choices there and believe it or not dots pretzels actually won so i'm a big dots pretzels fan i don't uh-huh. know if you've had dots or not but yeah. they are fantastic it's a lot different than a cheese it um I, I think it was pretty close for me between those two um but yeah and the nutty bar was also in that uh in that final four and i'm trying to think what the fourth one was but uh, yeah, those were the three that I remember the most. <laughs> Do you remember the regions? I have to know that. There was the salty region, and what else? Yeah, there was a salty region. There was a healthy. Oh, there, okay, the other one was cookies. That's what it was. So it was cookies, <laughs> okay. uh, Little Debbie's versus Hostess, and then we had uh, the salty, and then we had the healthy. So, yeah, I think the cookie that won was Oreo. So, obviously, that makes sense, but... Uh, you know, I like an Oreo. I'll never turn one down, but it's not like I usually seek out Oreos. But if I see Cheez-Its or Dots pretzels, I'm uh, I'm seeking them out. And the Nutty Bars, I mean, it's hard to turn down a good Nutty Bar. Those are pretty fantastic. You know, I think highly underrated, doesn't have the brand recognition of Oreos, Pecan Sandies. Tremendous cookie. Okay. Tremendous. I- that is one that I've never had before. Oh, you so. got to gotta indulge. Got to go. I'm telling you, highly okay. recommend him. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll take your word on that. We seem to be pretty in sync with our snack choices. So. <laughs> That's right, Pecan man. Sandy's is on my radar. You got to get him. I'm telling you. Like Next time we talk, I hope that you have taken my advice, and I'm hoping it changes your world. Those are my expectations. Uh-huh. All right. Well, uh, we'll see. and uh, I'll make sure that I do try to try them. I'm not sure when I'll talk to you again, but uh, uh, whenever we do, I'll make sure that I have had one before. Then I'll try to have one within the next week or so. That sounds great, man. Appreciate that. All right, Alex. Good stuff, man. Have a good evening. I'll catch you later. All right, man. Thanks for having me on. We'll, t- we'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. There he is. Alex Golden covers the Pacers. Setting the Pace podcast. Wow. Yeah, they had a, they had a healthy section for the snacks that's interesting that is interesting um james have you uh gotten down with the pecan sandies ever uh i don't actually think i've ever tried them either man they're great i forget the brand name i'd have to google it is, is I, it like a is it like an oreo like chocolate and then cream in the middle or what what is no it? it's just um oh man i don't know what i could compare it to they're they're thicker um I can't really compare it to – it's, like, thicker than – like, think of, like, a normal peanut butter cookie, how they're normally thin. Mm-hmm. I love me some peanut butter cookies. These are, like, fatter. Gotcha. They're fatter cookies, but very tasty. Oh, they're, they're Keebler. They're Keebler, aren't Keebler. They? That's right. Yeah. Oh, tremendous. Love them. I Top may, shelf. I may have had – I'm sure I've had one at some point. I can't really recall it, but I'm sure I've had one at some point in my life. I might be overselling it a bit. Because uh, (laughs) this reminds me back in school. So I went to Ball State, James, and there was a rock quarry that we would go to. And before I went, there's like a big jump and a small jump. And two of my friends were like, they just oversold it. They're like, oh, you're going to look down and you're going to be like, no way, man. No, I no way. (laughs) That's how they're selling it. I'm like, I thought I could basically see hell the way they were selling it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it was that far of a jump. And so when I finally got there, I'm like, this is it. And it was still a good jump. We measured it, it was like 55 or 60 feet. Oh, geez. Roughly. It was a pretty good jump. Mm-hmm. But the way they sold it, I got there and I'm like, 
I might do a cannonball off of this. This isn't deep at all. Are you kidding me? I don't want to do the same thing with pecan sandies where I feel like I'm overselling. <laughs> they are delicious, though. I I'll, love them. I'll have to. I'll, I'll be like Alex. I'll try and get a hold of them sometime in the next week and try and get one. Man, I hope so. I hope so right there. Okay, so uh, we've got Pacers on the mind. What's going to happen on Thursday night? I still maintain. I hope that it's, it's a couple of things. I want them to get better. And I also want them to get more interesting. And that's where I keep on looking at this guy, Hendricks. You know, Taylor Hendricks out of UCF. You'll hear people say this all the time. Well, fast riser. Fast riser. So is Joe Burrow. Okay? Like, not every fast riser is like it's a bunch of hot air. And I realize not everybody thinks of it that way. But there is some skepticism. Like, well, if this guy was so good, why is he such a fast riser? Huh? Like, yeah. This guy, elite defensively, legitimate offensive game. That's a great combination in my mind. So, yeah, I would be up for that. I'm not going to go kicking and screaming into the night if it's not this guy. But I've got my eye on Taylor Hendricks. Beyond that, I'm just so intrigued with the draft in general because of all these storylines. Like, think about this. Michael Jordan just sold his majority stake in the Charlotte Hornets. Watch them draft a guy like Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson, and that guy is just a phenom for the next decade plus. And they go on and win, and it's like, oh, now they got rid of Jordan. Now they can win. It's like, no, they just drafted a stud who is all world. I'm curious about that. And then also the veterans, the big names. Do we see anybody on the move? Can you imagine? I I can't think of draft night off the top of my head like huge names involved in trades. Uh, I'm sure it's happened before, but I, I can't think of uh, too many off the top of my head. But Damian Lillard is one of the better players in the NBA. There are rumors he might get moved. I don't know that it would specifically happen on draft night if it were to happen. But, man, that would be absolutely crazy if it did. Um, By the way, I'll circle back to hoops here in a second, but there was something hilarious yesterday with it being Father's Day and um, in the Red Sox game. So there was a dad. He was there with his two sons, and the younger son gets a foul ball. Some nice man in the stands. He said, oh, little kid, here you go. Here's a ball for you. And the little kid looked at the ball, and uh, he threw it as far as he could. <laughs> and the older brother just had a breakdown, just had a meltdown. And there's the dad, like, trying to console both kids, like, oh, it's okay, it's okay, happy Father's Day to me. But this is how it sounded on Nesson. It was hilarious. Here, let me get that for you. Here you go. Oh, 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 did you see Big Bro? Oh, no. He is beside himself. Oh, oh I, can, I feel it. I feel that pain. <laughs> yeah. Big Brother was like, dude, we just got a ball. It's been my dream, and you threw it away. Now, the happy twist to this story was they hooked him up. There were numerous people, I think, affiliated with the Red Sox, went over there, got him a jersey, got him a new signed ball. So th- he made out even better, worked out. And it's uh, probably, it's probably like a Father's Day gift in a way. So the father didn't have to hear screaming and yelling and crying all the, all the way back home. It's probably more of a Father's Day gift now that I think about it. All right, we got a lot to get to. Coming up next, oh, man. 
Uh, we get a highly entertaining drunk guy. And then also, I don't understand how it's okay to do this one thing, but it's not okay to do this other, th- other, other thing. Some details on that for you as well. I'm Brian, though, in for JMV. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. It's party time! P-A-R-T. Why? Because I gotta! 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I'm Brian No in for JMV. Here on the fan, I'll tell you what, James, I'm de- I'm dead serious. There's nothing today that's going to put me in a better mood than knowing that you are a diehard metalhead. <laughs> that is top shelf. Are you kidding? I finally found a brother over. It's been nothing. You get a steady diet of this, too, mm-hmm. of just like, you know, hey, do you listen to metal? No, no. Mm-hmm. Yuck. Ah, oh, blah, blah. You know, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And you swung the other way, man. <laughs> I commend you. That is great. Yeah, man. I mean, like like you said, you know, every, everybody I ask is always like, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll listen to some rock music. But it's, it's very rare you find some actual, like... Like, like people who like Slayer and like uh, Pantera and all the really heavy stuff that I enjoy. So, yeah, man, this has been great. I'm enjoying this. Man, next time I'm in for JMV, I haven't played guitar for a while. I used to play all the time. Mm-hmm. But I, I jacked up my elbow working out, so I, I haven't played for the better part of a year. Oh, man. But, uh, you know, I, my arm is pretty much better now. Mm-hmm. So I'll get the chops working and then we'll go crazy oh, next we'll ha- time. We'll have a jam session, man. I'll, yes. br- I'll, br- I'll bring my guitar in. We'll have ourselves a jam session. Oh, really? I didn't know you play. Oh, yeah. I play. I, oh, dude. I play this. guitar and I play, I dabble with bass sometimes. Okay. A little dabbling. Uh, dude, absolutely. Next time, we're doing this. <laughs> we're putting on a concert of our own here. Yes. No tickets needed. Next time I'm in for JMV, that's what we'll do. This will be the game. Okay, and everybody's welcome to participate as well. But I think what we should do, name that heavy metal riff. So what you'll do, you'll play one. It'll mm-hmm. be on me to guess it. And then we'll just go back and forth. That's good. That's a good idea. I like that. We'll have like, a, you know, like a best of seven series just Absolutely. straight off the NBA playoffs. Absolutely. You Absolutely. Know? That sounds like uh, a great idea. I think that'd be tremendous right there. Definitely on the calendar. Uh, you might have to, you know, sabotage JMV. You know, like <laughs> make him take a day off here yeah, in the next couple like, of weeks. Slip a little poison into his drink, you know. Not, not that's going to really put him down, but just for a day. I'll, you just, know? I'll start like subtly suggesting, like, hey, man, wouldn't another vacation be nice? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. Work a yeah. lot. Get into his ear, you know, the <laughs> subliminal messages over there. Okay, so there are a couple of things here that um, I just don't understand. Where if you think it through, I think you'll see it my way, where I've got a point on this. Um, the Bradley Beal trade. I'll bring it back to the Pacers, okay? But if you look at the Bradley Beal trade, he goes to the Phoenix Suns. Uh, first part that I don't understand is that the Wizards didn't get much of anything in return. They get Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, as many as four second-round picks, and some pick swaps. That sounds like a lot. It isn't. Chris Paul's not going to play there. Landry Shamit probably is not going to play there. So you get a bunch of second-round picks and some pick swaps where, depending on the year, it might not even help you. So that, for Bradley Beal, 
that's like, I don't know if they threw in some deflated basketballs to sweeten the deal or what. Like, hey, we got a pump. This pump works really good, man. You got to have the basketballs inflated and all of that. So we'll... I don't, we don't like to. We'll throw it. It sounds like semi-pro. You ever see the movie Semi-Pro with Jackie Moon and where Jackie Moon um, threw in the washing machine to get Monix? Like that, that's what this deal feels like with uh, Will Fla- Farrell playing the character Jackie Moon. I just can't believe that's all Washington got for Bradley Beal. Now, one of the the nuggets on this, the fine print, Bradley Beal's agent is the father of the son's CEO. And it's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Might have had something to do with it. But still, Bradley Beal had a no-trade clause. And there were offers made by other teams, including the Bucs. And Bradley Beal said, no, uh, I want Phoenix. Milwaukee and Miami made offers. So that's the first part. I don't understand how Washington didn't get more for a three-time All-Star. The other part of this, and this is where I'll bring it back to Tyrese, Kevin Durant helped recruit Bradley Beal to Phoenix. That's per Sham Sharanya. Um, This is what I don't understand. Why is it... KD's the best example. Why is it if KD joins a team, oh, that's weak, that's front-running, that's ring-chasing, yada, yada, yada. But if Kevin Durant recruits a player to his team, totally fine. Not ring-chasing, not weak, totally on the up-and-up. How? (laughs) Right? Like, listen, it's going to be a little nuanced here, but I thought KD joining the Warriors was weak. I'm not sitting here saying, hey, poor unfortunate KD, what's with all the negative comments and lay off the man? I thought it was a weak move. I'm not here to go crazy about it, but when you join the team that puts you out and you join a loaded 73-win team, I thought that was a weak move. But what's odd to me is he got nothing, nothing but supreme, high-end, top-shelf scrutiny, negativity, pushback, the whole nine yards. And yet, he can recruit an all-star like Bradley Beal to join his team in Phoenix, and it's looked at completely differently. That does not make sense to me. I realize there's a difference between joining someone else's team and somebody else joining your team, but you're still linking up. You're still teaming up. It is not worlds different. It's just the reaction is worlds different. Let's bring in Tyrese Halliburton. If Halliburton joined a team, like he joined a big three, there would be people that would say, oh, you had to leave to go blah, 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 blah. That's the way it goes. But if Tyrese Halliburton is actively recruiting a star player to join the Pacers, I mean, Pacer fans would be fine with it, but the national media, they'd be fine with it too. There's no negativity. I just don't get that. You're still linking up. You're still joining forces. You're still pairing stars with stars. I I don't see why it's worlds different if you join someone's team versus you recruit someone else. Steph Curry. Steph Curry actively recruited Kevin Durant. Totally fine. No worries. But heaven forbid if Steph Curry left and joined somebody else's team in an effort to be in a better spot to win a championship. Oh, weak. 
Weak. <laughs> I just don't understand that. It's strange to me. Uh, that difference is odd. Just odd. Uh, let me shift it to football here for a second. A couple of stories that caught my attention here in the AFC South. So D'Amico Ryan, it's his first year with the Houston Texans. And he had a quote that um, I think that it really depends on your rooting interest, how you take in some of these quotes. So D'Amico said, for right now and where we are, we're in a really good spot. We just ended on the field, like the way the guys are competing back and forth, offense, defense, both making plays, both challenging each other, iron sharpening iron. That's exactly what I wanted, end quote. Okay, so in a really good spot. If you're a Texans fan, it's like, yeah, right on. I like this. New coach, new enthusiasm, former player. Now we got, we're cooking with grease over here. You know, if you're a Colts fan and you hear this, it's pretty much an eye roll. It's like, oh, okay, all right. You're in a really good spot right now. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, go get them, guys. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, uh, the Texans have gone 11, 38, and 1 over the last four years. Uh, that, that's over three seasons, but they've had four different head coaches in that span. <laughs> four coaches in three years, and they've been 11, 38, and 1. So that always is interesting to me, how you'll talk yourself into something that you want to believe, and you can be pretty critical if it's not the team that you root for you know and I I I think you gotta play the honesty game there's no sense in either being a hater and being far away from the truth or being a homer and being far away from the truth I I just don't think either makes sense there was another story here involving the Jags so Jacksonville I'm sure you've heard this they're renovating their stadium so there's a new plan potentially, right? Where instead of taking the two years to renovate their stadium and they would be out of the stadium, there's a another plan where they wouldn't have to leave. But it would cost $190 million more and it would take two more years <laughs> to complete the renovation. Uh, so I, I don't know what's going to happen here. Where if they take option number two, it's like, okay, it's not going to take two years. It's going to take four years, and it's going to cost us about $200 million more. I don't see that being a sexy option, but the other option is if they can't go play in their normal stadium, they're going to be in either Gainesville, where the Florida Gators play, Orlando, is that where UCF plays, or... The Daytona International Speedway. <laughs> that would be uh, probably around 26-27. Um, the stay-at-home renovation, that would be between 2026 and 29. <laughs> it's like they're still playing there. But they're like, there's going to be dust in the air. Parking's limited. This is not a match made in heaven. Here's my question. This is what I take away. As a Colts fan... Would you want to go see the Jags play at Daytona? If they were at the Daytona International Speedway, I would absolutely want to go see that. I definitely would go. 
And it would just be a spectacle. It would just be so different. I did see the more, one of the more random things I was able to do, because these stadiums, there's not a whole lot of personality. There's not a whole lot of quirks. Granted, there's some. You see, like, Seattle with the little triangle in one of the end zones, like that side of the field, or Heinz Field in Pittsburgh, where it's cut out in one end of the stadium. and Right, like, but for the most part, football stadiums, there's not a ton of personality. It's not like baseball stadiums. And I've been to most of them. The more, like, off the beaten path one is I went to a Chargers game when they were playing in that soccer field that had, like, 27,000 people. And uh, it was funny because I got the tickets. <laughs> it said, it's like a StubHub thing. It said there, your view might be obstructed, something along those lines. And I'm like, they don't know what they're talking about. There's not a pole near us. We're fine. And so we went to the game, and I saw nothing but the Bengals players on the sideline. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't see the game. We had to go up higher. We just grabbed different seats for the second half, you know. But the point is this. I've been to many NFL stadiums. There are a few I have to check off the list. If you were to take a trip to Florida to go to Daytona International Speedway, if that's where the Jags were hosting the Colts, oh my gosh, I would go in a heartbeat. I absolutely would because it's so different than pretty much anything else you would experience. The atmospheres are going to be different. Like Arrowhead Stadium was awesome. It's just a feel. You hear it all the time, and it's true. It is like a college feel. I loved going to Jerry World. That was awesome at the Cowboys Stadium. There have been some fun atmospheres, some fun stadiums. But I, man, I would go in, I'd go to Daytona immediately. I would. I don't know if you would. I don't know if it's that much of an attraction. I would absolutely be there. So we'll see, we'll see what they decide. I don't know if they're going to choose door number two, which is, hey, pay about $200 million more, and this is going to take uh, four years for us to get the stadium the way that we want it. That does not sound ideal. Okay. So I've got some drunk audio for you. Um, I've got an offer that sounds drunk. So I'll have some fun with that before we get out of here. I'm Brian No in for JMV. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. And the beat goes on. Yeah. And the beat goes on. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No in for JMV here on The Fan. Man, so Jake Query was on a little bit earlier at 4 o'clock. And I asked him, what's one of the crazier things he's seen while covering IndyCar racing, you know? And I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, like accidents or anything, you know, sad like that, but just kind of like, a, whoa, what was that? And he mentioned he gathered that somebody shotgunned, or I'm sorry, beer bonged, a fifth of Jack and was in bad shape, which is not shocking whatsoever. And, um, yeah, I think that's a pretty good segue an hour and a half later to get to this. So this is compliments of the Vegas Golden Knights. So this guy, William Carlson, I don't know that there's a drunker championship parade speech than this, but... Let's go in a couple of different installments. This is a, the first thing you got to do is confirm that you're drunk by uh, kind of like testing the microphone. Here's the first part. Okay. You guys can hear me? Yeah, you hear me? 
Okay, Eric. Uh, okay, we're off to a good start. All right, let's see what William Carlson does next up. You have been here day one. <laughs> okay, drunk athlete cussing, normally a crowd pleaser when it comes to a championship celebration. This, of course, was uh, right on, on par with that. Here's more from William Carlson. We played Arizona in the first game, and we beat the shit out of them. And I had no points. No points. But that's okay. <laughs> so we, we beat that Arizona. I had no points. I had no points. But that's all right. You know, that's okay. Uh, and then the last one. Now, this is the wild one. So they're trying to walk him off the stage. I mind you, this is hockey. This is a hockey team, okay? Hockey players known to play hard, party hard, but it's reached a point where they are trying to steal the microphone from the sky. They're like, hey, why don't you hand it to that guy? There's a, a girl on stage literally trying to say, hey, what's that over there? And grab the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> so, William Carlson closes it like this. Pass it to Marshy. Marshy, you got something to say? No, 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 no. Listen to me. We've been waiting for six long years for this guy to be MVP. Pretty well done. Pretty well done. I mean, uh, that is going to go down in the drunk archives right there. As uh, That's top shelf. Uh, depending on your perspective. Hopefully he didn't do a Bob Huggins and drive around after that. Bob Huggins. Did you see the details on this? So Bob Huggins, uh, he had to resign at West Virginia. So he got caught driving drunk and his blood alcohol level was 0.21%. It's 0.08 in the Pittsburgh area, in the state of Pennsylvania. And uh, so he that's over twice. That's basically two and a half times the, the legal limit right there. And uh, that's, that's, that's not what we're looking for right there at all. And so he has resigned as the head coach at West Virginia. I just, look, man. It's one thing, I'm not going to be the uh, the moral police over here. If you want to, you know, get a little buzzed, get a little drunk, uh, I understand it. You just got to be responsible, man. Especially with John, uh, John, with Bob Huggins. This is like six weeks removed from the anti-gay slur on a radio show. And he gets a second chance or a third chance, depending on your perspective, because he had a DUI back in 20, 2004. And he does this. It's just, what are you doing? And the guy's 69 years old. He's a grown man. He's 70. And after all the flowery words of, I got to do better, and I, blah, 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 he got popped six weeks later. It's, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. I don't want to bum you out to close the show here. That is not, not my objective. Uh, this was, it's a little bit different here. Now, James, I'll bring you in for this. So the Vegas Golden Knights, let's go back to them for a second. So they had an interesting offer here. 
So there he is. This is a little adult in nature. So earmuffs for anybody who doesn't want to hear something. It's not crazy over the top, but, you know, there's a little bit here. So there is a licensed sex worker named Alice Little. And she's made an offer to the Vegas Golden Knights. And she has said, James, she's like, hey, I, I can't express in words the joy I feel now to the team. Now that they've won their first ever Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. So she's going to express it through her actions. And so oh, what, what is she going to offer here? So she's got co-workers. I'm not going to name the place mm-hmm. because it's obviously a publicity stunt, yeah. you know. But she said uh, dozens of ladies, myself included, ready and waiting to treat the Knights to any and every carnal delight. So you read the fine print. They've offered the Vegas Golden Knights a free orgy is what has happened here. <laughs> Like, really? <laughs> Congratulations, you win the cup. Let's get down to business oh, over yeah. here. Like, yeah. You win the Stanley Cup and you get the orgy started. That's what you got to do. I, yeah. It's, uh, and now this is also another publicity stunt, but she's the same girl. You might remember this story. Alice Little and another sex worker, Caitlin Bell. Mm-hmm. They offered Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, I've heard about this one. Yes. Yeah. When he signed with the Raiders yes. in March, they offered him free sex for life. That's <laughs> what they did. So, you know, you know, when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo, when a guy looks like that, I really don't think he's struggling. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's... he's probably got enough going on. That's a good point by you, James. And uh, you know what's funny? It's hilarious. So uh, one of the shows that I do... They take these drops, you know, they, they a drop and radio. You, you take it out of context. Now you got something mm-hmm. right now. You're really working. And so I'll never forget. It was Jimmy Garoppolo. He was with the Niners and he had this horrible game against the Tennessee Titans. He threw two horrible interceptions. He missed an easy touchdown pass. And so I did a show later that night and I go, Jimmy G. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> And out of context, it sounds like I'm like, Jimmy G, mm, 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 what a beautiful man right there. And that's totally not what I was saying what at all. What a hunk, but Jimmy G. Brian, yeah. But Brian knows got a crush on Jimmy G. Man, what a gorgeous specimen that Jimmy <laughs> G is. Like, no, that's I was just talking about him screwing up against the Titans. But, uh, you know, you're right. You're right. I, I don't think Jimmy G is... I don't know. Uh, Needing that, um, I think he's got plenty of offers. (laughs) That's the way it works out. I want to see what kind of season that guy has. Isn't that wild where he, he he agreed to his deal with the Raiders. He's there to sign the contract and have the, you know, like the he holds the jersey and the initial press conference and all of that. And then he gets the physical that day. And they find out, like, whoa, dude, you need surgery. <laughs> and it's like, they're like, what? And so they they delayed this announcement. They reconvened the next day. They worked out the contract. What do you think happened, James? Did Jimmy G know he needed surgery and just play it that way? Or did he not know and it was news to him? I think it's the former. I think he knew. Mm-hmm. And they just played it that way. I'll never know the answer to that, but that's a wild story. Yeah, I I would think he probably didn't know, but I can't say for certain. I mean, does it not cause any issues if he knew and just didn't say anything? It's just wild, right? It's wild that 
And the Raiders were like, eh, screw it. And they, they changed the language of the contract, and they have certain protections. Okay, real fast before we get out of here, James. Um, killing fields or raining blood from Slayer? Ooh, that's tough. I think I got to go raining blood. Okay. Um, sad but true or short as straw by Metallica? Sad but true. Ooh, okay. Everybody enjoy your evening. I'm Brian Nell. We'll catch you later. 